Nothing good is born from podcasts, and greatness is not what you think. Who says that? Is it Wonder Woman? Yeah, guess who? Who says that? that? What? What do you think? I'm doing a Chris Pine impression. I I don't. Well, I thought maybe I don't know Pascal. I suppose I I was more. It wasn't to do with your impression. I was more like, oh boy, do I not remember this movie that well already? My podcast hasn't been what you think it has. We all have our podcasts. She's got that whole group of lines that are all like real kind of these these rueful. I keep using rueful. Is twenty twenty one the year of rueful? I think so. I think rueful future episode. Your patina. (laughs) Yeah, rueful. I feel like I also said rueful in one episode, and you were like taken aback, and you went rueful, and it's like you you kind of rediscovered the word, and now you've been running with it. Mm. No, but you had this moment of just like rueful. Nice to see you again. (laughs) <laughs> old roofie yeah old uh, well hey uh no she's got all these lines that like are prominent in the trailer and i guess she says them in the movie but i can't remember even when she says them that all feel like inspirational quotes on driftwood that someone sells on etsy right uh yes right yes they, yeah, they and they are rueful they are rueful they are rueful uh folks it's 2021 Oh, da, 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 da. And can I say, uh, 2020, uh, uh, you don't need to rest in peace. Uh, I don't mind if you rest in discomfort. Because, wow. man, 2020, <laughs> not good. Yeah, more like 2020, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Right. Yeah, definitely. More like rest in pieces. Yeah, right. That's definitely what I should have said the first time. <laughs> uh, it is no longer 2020. Is it's that a good thing? I mean, by, by by the standards of how years have gone recently, no. Look, they it's... They tend to... Tend to only get worse. It's a good thing. It's a good thing in the way that, like, sometimes you need to get rid of some stuff after a breakup. You know, it's like, right? Symbolically, it's good to kind of close the door and be like, I should get get this out of my house. There are too many memories involved in this thing. Uh, it's not like I have particularly high hopes about twenty twenty one, but I certainly like symbolically yeah. closing the door on uh, a year that objectively uh, drank duck piss. You know, <laughs> it's a real d- duck yeah. piss drink of a year. Uh, yes, duck piss. Rude to ducks. Do they have bad? I know they have corkscrew dicks. That's, think I that think, just what I think bad. of. It makes me feel like their piss would be sour. The corkscrew. The corkscrew right, deck. Right, right. You ever had a duck egg? They're like dark. No, David, I hate eggs. A... Oh, right. You hate eggs. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, right. This is, this is an incredible. Incredible start to a fresh year of podcasting with us covering mm. a massive new release movie. I really feel like I've set us <laughs> off on was an incredible like, foot. Griffin was like, you know what? Let's do Wonder Woman first. Yeah. It'll kick off the new year. The discourse on that one is raging. Right. Like, what better time? Right. And then we're like, so ducks have weird dicks, yeah. right? 2020 LMAO. Minute four is how sour do you think duck piss tastes? <laughs> Should Great. we just start over? No, no. This is all mm. in. This is all in. You, re- I mean, do you feel like? Do you feel like this is going to hurt us, Ben? Do you think people who are going, "Huh, I've been looking for a Wonder Woman podcast," are going to turn it off at this point? Can I be honest? Yes. I don't think it's going to help. Hey, 
But I, li- I like a challenge. We'll find out. <laughs> Look, let me tell let me tell folks what this is, okay? This podcast isn't duck piss talk. It's blank check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. <laughs> I'm David. We could rename it that, I guess. It's something to consider, but well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Let's let's uh let's leave it open to a vote. <laughs> You're a right. legally binding vote. Look, this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they lasso the lightning and ride on it, baby. Sure. Maybe. Now, Uh, yes, that's true. This is not really part of that but, but this but, is absolutely but. a blank check movie this is the little bit of table setting oh, yeah. i want to do is. for people who don't remember That's a good point or or jumping on on this hot fresh very welcoming new episode which is uh this podcast is usually fresh ducks piss well yeah we should just double down on it we should just keep on invoking it non-stop throughout this entire episode um usually this podcast is about filmographies as we said and and director yep. driven and we'll pick a director and we'll cover all of their movies in order in a little mini series. But a couple years ago, we felt like we needed to do Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. I'm sorry. I said the title wrong. Uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a movie. It just felt like such a blank checky thing that even though we were like, eh, I don't know if we ever want to cover Zack Snyder, this seems like such a colossal sort of like bizarre auteur driven blockbuster. Uh, we recorded it. We lost a lot of the audio. We well, released a truncated first version. First and only time we've ever had tech problems. It's never been a thing since never that thing. time. Never been never a thing. Come up, never like come 2020 up again. perfect year in terms yeah. of tech. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, rest in peace. I mean, you you are always pristine. People start have started calling me producer Griff because they're just like, I assume you've been handling everyone's audio recently, right? You just <laughs> fully are engineering and editing every episode because you're just so on top of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the point that I was trying to make was that after the success of the MCU... Warner Brothers wanted to play catch up and they made this very bizarre decision to pretty much put one filmmaker in control of the whole extended universe and sort of overseeing it and have everyone else have to fit their movies into his vision. We have to talk about this. okay? and we're going to. Right. 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 That's this is is all important. Right. 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 And then they've sort of backed off from that. But then it's become a weird sort of sideways thing. And we've gone back and forth on whether or not we still feel obligated to cover these movies. Now, this one felt important to cover for a couple of reasons. A, because we love the first Wonder Woman. And B, because Patty Jenkins has only made three films. She's one of these people where we very easily could do like a monster fill-in episode on Patreon and just say like, Patty Jenkins is a filmmaker we cover every time there's a new movie. And I think that would be fair. I think she's an interesting enough filmmaker doing blank check projects on a huge scale. She's a good person to sort of put in our back pocket in that way. But yes, let's talk about the larger sort of state of the DC thing. So this is the thing. And yes, and because the right, because Patty Jenkins, as you say, is now absolutely a blank check filmmaker, I would say. Yeah. But 
uh, when she gets Wonder Woman is the absolute opposite. Someone right. who made a film that should ostensibly have gotten her a lot more work and then struggled for, you know, 10 plus years to even get a job mm-hmm. uh, in movie making. But right. The DC Extended Universe launched in 2013 mm. with Man of Steel, a movie we've never covered and should. No. We're putting a no. lot of things on our plate that we might have to throw on Patreon at some point in the near future. It'll be fun. I mean, I guess yeah. maybe we do Snyder one day, but God, that just feels like a nightmare. Snyder. Um, yeah, the Snyder. Um, and yes, of course. Well, there's he, just a bunch of things to say. So when Man of Steel comes out, it's a year after the Avengers. Mm-hmm. So it's a year after the MCU thing has gone from experiment to juggernaut. Yeah. And, you know, has gone from, oh, what are they doing over there to like, oh, we should try what they're doing over there. Right. And there was this thing of like, you know, oh, we're very carefully just trying to relaunch Superman. Superman is a crown jewel. We're just trying to relaunch that. And then like six weeks after Man of Steel comes out, they're like, the next movie's Batman versus Superman. We're building the whole universe out. We're going to 100. Th- this is this is the problem. It's yeah. It's the dual problem of. And people, I guess, maybe forget it, but like while the Marvel kick thing is kicking off, DC or Warner Brothers is having this great success with these critically acclaimed Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Yeah. So entirely you know, they're not self-contained, about to, completely unconcerned right. with larger world building outside of those movies. Yeah. Right. Like Kevin Feige is making Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans and so on sign these seven picture deals with these yeah. balloon salary, de- you know, like. Like, you can't do that with Christian Bale. You're not going to say, no. like, hey, so you've done two of these. Do you want to sign on? Maybe do, like, six more where you do some cameos and shit. And, like, we do, you know, like, not going to happen. So Man of Steel comes out. Mm-hmm. That's that's a Nolan-produced, you know, and he, yeah. he, he identifies Snyder as he thinks he'll make a cool Superman movie. Snyder has this, you know, Ayn Rand fucking i am a you know alien among humans and i i don't like he has a pitch at least he's got pitches let me just say a couple quick things just butt in with a couple quick fine points here one is there were a long list of directors who were apparently in talks like darren aronofsky and matt reeves who later goes on to do batman and even affleck met with them Right. Aronofsky, one of those guys who circled so many comic book movies. Yeah. And it was always, everyone would always get excited and then it would never come together. But, but apparently really wanted to do this. And it was like Goyer and Nolan had a pitch. They had a take on how to redo Superman. And the pitch was very much, we can do for Superman what we did for Dark Knight. Like the plan was not right. build out a whole right. thing not out of this. extended universe. Right. Exactly. It was like redefine Superman. And there was also the looming specter of the the lawsuit from the Schuster uh, estate. They had to do. They thought they were going to lose a bunch of the rights. They had to do it. And Zack Snyder, by a lot of accounts, became the choice because they were like, we know he can handle a movie of this size. We know he will be able to get this up and running quickly. Yes. But then they're in bed with him and they double down and they're like, do you want to be our grand architect? Well, and I guess, you know, there's it's like. They greenlight the sequel right away, even though the movie disappointed, but it did okay. You know, it still did good. It, it was very successful. It I think public perception was split, but you also announce a sequel that isn't Man of Steel 2 is pointedly now we're going huge. But I think they didn't they initially announce 
I, that's what I can't remember. Didn't they just initially announce like there will be a sequel? Yes. And then it was. I remember at Comic Con, Snyder presented the logo yes. with like Batman behind it, yeah. and it was like oh, and everyone freaking out. And so right, like maybe initially they were like, and then who? Whatever. Warner Brothers gets involved. They're like, we that, need a universe now, that boys. Comic-Con You're going to introduce Wonder Woman. It's all going to happen. The Comic-Con thing was six weeks after that movie came out. That's the thing I think people forget. By all accounts, Mm. it was like a scramble internally because, as you said, it's like 2008 is Iron Man and The Dark Knight, right? And then 2012 is uh, Dark Knight Rises and The Avengers. So, like, one year, DC is the dominant force, and Marvel has an outside hit experimenting with a weird thing. And then four years later, DC closes the book on their most successful franchise, and Marvel just supercharges. And so the next year, they're scrambling, and by all accounts, their plan was Man of Steel 2, and then they sort of did the Hail Mary pass, like, the week or two before Comic-Con, and went, like, what if we just fucking go for it? Right. And... They did it, and they were legends. Yeah. As as we keep talking about this this whole enterprise, obviously one of the original sins is just them doing it all too so quickly. Like uh, you know, uh, trying to launch everything in one movie. Yeah. That's no, a Superman Suicide sequel. Squad holds up. Suicide Squad holds up. But that's following like, it to with this day Suicide and- Squad, which is bad and also has all this extended universe crap that's yeah. also separately bad and right. not helping matters. But it's also fascinating. And, like, we yeah. had no intention of covering Suicide Squad. And then you saw it and you were like, you don't understand how weird this thing was. And I was like, I guess we got to do it. And then at that point, we had sort of backed into it where we're like, it's not just the Snyder strain we're interested in. I guess it's this whole enterprise. Excuse me. But I do step back from it because to some degree, I think we feel felt a little burdened like, oh, we've gotten ourselves trapped in this expectation that we have to cover every DC movie. Then we skip Shazam because we were like, who gives a shit? And then and that ended up being right. one of the best ones and one of our favorite yes. superhero movies of the last 10 years. <laughs> so we feel like yes. idiots. And we like told Ange, like, you should do Birds of Prey because we're just sort of over this. But then we both right. definitely liked Birds of Prey more than most mm. of these movies. I mean, Ange liked it more than us, and you I did. think she was I, absolutely... I, I, I don't like that movie. Fair enough. Fair enough. Go on. But, but the point is, uh, I think we've had this uneasy relationship with how much we want to be in bed with, like, the commitment of needing to do every and, DC and, and, movie. And, and we... Sh- and I... Uh, for two things. One, yeah. we should never commit, because yes. <laughs> every... Six months, there's yeah. an article, and there was just one in the New York Times where yeah. they're like, yeah, we're going to do uh, 50 movies a week. It's right. Batman is going to fucking be in a sitcom that's on yeah. HBO Max where his dick is out, and it's going to be great. We're doing uh, six we're just gonna- different TV shows on HBO Max that all interconnect, and each one is based on one item on Batman's utility belt. Yeah. <laughs> Bat shark repellent on HBO Max. Yes, yeah. I mean, and so like I'm that we will never commit. We're not going to put a it, ring it, on now, it. Now that you're saying it, yes, we have covered every single DC extended universe film except for Shazam and Man of Steel. Those are the Shaz- only two we haven't done. And Man of Steel, right? There's <laughs> yeah. two, right? Okay, yeah. but and Shazam is possibly my favorite. Although yeah. I do love my good boy Aquaman, and I do enjoy the Adventures of Wonder Woman. But no, I think Shazam is my favorite. 
that, you know, the James Gunn Suicide Squad movies coming up. I'd like to do talk about that. Maybe we wait. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But it's also like another thing where Gunn's a guy where we've covered both Guardians on Patreon and he's yeah, only made right. two so movies like, outside of kidding? that. So you're like, and he's certainly a blank check guy. It, it, this is this is the thing I butt up against. And I was thinking about this a lot while watching Wonder Woman 1984, which is what this episode's about. But I do think to oh, some degree. No, I, I've said it, I think. I don't know. Oh, Maybe okay, I okay, haven't. Okay, I don't know. Okay, this okay. podcast is bad. It's worse than duck piss. No, but shut I, up. <laughs> I think. I think. All of this table setting is necessary because to some degree, this is such this movie represents such a zoom out moment of just like, what is the state of blockbuster filmmaking right now? This movie has become such a weird fulcrum point of so many different things, not just DC, not just Warner Brothers and how they're run under AT&T, but also streaming versus theatrical and also just like superhero franchise building. And also, I think like the state of online discourse around movies because i cannot remember the last time people have gotten this kind of apoplectic at large about a film it feels like different the way that people are angry on this one yes it does and i don't really get it but we can talk about that i I have i have thoughts and theories and they are simply just that i look I have thoughts and theories, not just about this movie, but about three big movies that came out really close together that were much hyped after a year that, in my opinion, yeah, wasn't much to write home about. Talking about 2020 over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, Mank, Tenet, and this all yeah. came out like within six weeks of each other, basically, and all got very different reactions, but all basically like, oh, like was sort of a fairly common yeah. thread, I would say. And it's perfectly reasonable to not like any of those movies. But it did also just kind of feel like everyone was like, ah, which I understand. Totally. I think it's I, bad. I, right. And uh, look, I, I went on this whole sort of thing in the old guard episode and people really pushed back at it because they felt like I was being sort of like. Uh, a judgmental or gatekeepy about the way that people watch movies, which is not my intent. It is more that I feel like I've spent a lot of this year and it's we're too in it. It's impossible to fucking come up with a thesis here. But sociologically, there is a major shift going on in how people consume entertainment and talk about it. Right. And it's been supercharged yes. by everyone being stuck in at home watching everything on their couch nonstop trying to distract themselves and then also spending even more time online but but the shift has been happening gradually for a while that having been said like you said soul mank and wonder woman were the three listed no no uh, mank tenet and wonder oh, woman oh, I, I don't think soul agreed. falls in that bucket so soul, soul Soul has gotten maybe you know there's there there's always going to be discourse, but well, you know, that's you what know, I was fairly positive. Say. No, yeah. I think those three you threw out completely correct and fair. I I think the Soul thing was also fascinating to watch, where it was like Soul and Wonder Woman both go up on their streaming platforms Christmas Day. It feels like overwhelmingly, especially in the first 24 hours, Wonder Woman won the battle of the eyeballs. Right, everyone was watching that 100%. thing right away. 
Yeah, the, it was for the whole family. Everyone could watch it. You know, Wonder Woman, who doesn't like Wonder Woman? Right, your soul, it's, it's like, it's a, some people don't want to watch a kid's movie. They don't know what it's about. I An anticipated sequel to a beloved movie. Like one of the yeah. sort of more well-regarded uh, films in yes. one of the more the most dominant genre at popular cinema. And it also is like this big budget sort of spectacle movie. Yeah. The idea of people getting to watch it at home, I think, felt like a Christmas present to people. Like, finally here's a real movie in this year where the things we've been getting on streaming have felt like kind of uh, damaged goods, you know? Like write-off yeah. sort of shit, uh, by and large. Right. And uh, everyone was just going wild, buck wild about Wonder Woman, flipping out. But it was also just astounding to watch how loud the discourse was by like noon on Christmas Day. And mm, not just among mm. film Twitter people, but like the people I specifically no. follow in order to follow people who don't talk about movies all the time. Like, like, We're like piece of shit. Yeah. Lame. Worst movie I've seen the last 30 years. And I'm like, you write for Politico. <laughs> and you watched it within two hours of waking up on Christmas morning. Like, like it was just. Well, Santa like, came and he brought us one. Totally. Jesus. But yeah. the, but then I feel like by the end of Christmas night or maybe the following day, I saw the sentiment of like, why is everyone watching Wonder Woman? Soul is on Disney Plus and it's good. Don't watch the movie that makes you mad. Watch Soul. And Soul was then being positioned as like, this is the alternative. This is actually the good studio film. And then like 24 hours after that, the Soul backlash started. And once again, yeah, like well, I, I totally understand all of the Soul backlash. I think it's a flawed movie that I do like a lot but it, it's just the cycle is so fucking quick these days and you well, speak about how all, yeah it's all available at our fingertips it is you know, not for free for free but obviously yeah. like with the click of a button and uh the internet's out there and people are bored uh it's yes. a boring time in general the holidays and more boring right now a lot yeah. of people are alone or haven't traveled or you know just with their whatever um so yeah uh these are all things um, but also people just kind of think this movie's dog shit so I can't really no. argue with that. I, I mean there's a lot uh, of I would say it's more dog or duck piss but yeah, Ben <laughs> how dare you fuck up the duck piss joke it was so clean up until this point and then you tripped on the word damn it it was perfect we had a perfect run of everyone loving this perfectly executed bit I want I want to say one thing uh, on the onset here because i fall into this trap sometimes where i'll like i'll say something people are like why is griffin projecting what he thinks other people think or why they don't like a thing or this kind of thing and i feel like it's like it comes with the territory of more people listen to our podcast now right we have a podcast that's casual and conversational by design but now more people listen to it and they take more stock in it and so when I throw out some sort of like half-baked thesis I have, it sometimes hits people like I'm trying to pass legislature, you know, like I'm making some sort of sweeping judgment because I love coming up with theses. I, and, and I think about like I had this exact thought while watching Wonder Woman weirdly. But when I was in like middle school and we had to write like a formal essay for the first time 
and it was on like Romeo and Juliet. And I handed in some like, you know, four page essay that was filled with dumb jokes and puns. And also every sentence began with like, I think or I don't know or I kind of feel like. And my <laughs> teacher pulled me aside and she was like, this is unacceptable. Complete rewrite. Start over. Like not even an mm-hmm. F, like not applicable. Mm-hmm. Like this is not an essay. And I was like, what's the problem? She's like, first of all, you can't make fucking jokes. Second of all, uh, you can't start your sentences off with I think or I feel or maybe. And I said, why? And she was like, part of like writing an essay is you're really selling an argument like you're absolutely certain that this right. is the case. You, you don't want to hedge at the start of a sentence with like, I don't right. know, maybe. Like, yeah, right. And I have this very distinct memory of turning to her and saying, but I'm 13 years old. I don't know what I'm talking about. Why would I assume <laughs> that I have the right take on Romeo and Juliet? And she just sort of was silent when I don't know, because that's how essays work. But I, I yeah. think I think about that because anytime fake I until you make it right. Anytime I say anything on this show that rubs someone the wrong way in terms of like, I think people don't like this because of this or this is why this is good and everyone has it wrong i do want to frame that i always think of myself as that 13 year old boy in a class it's like why is anyone taking my opinion seriously i'm just saying what i think right but i i bring this up because to some degree digging into this movie and what works in it and what doesn't work in it and why people are so angry about it is going to get into a lot of conjecture, right? Because it's difficult to try to parse to a certain degree, even what this movie is trying to do in certain areas. I want to hear what you guys think. Like I I, forget the discourse. Sure. People don't like it. That's fine. That does seem to be where the chips have fallen for old Diana and company. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, you know, I I don't know what you guys thought of it because we haven't talked about it because you've been keeping your opinion a secret. I have. You saw it as a professional key. critic. You were sent a screener early yeah, yeah, yeah. and you were part of sort of that second wave of critics. That's the other thing was like first wave of early tweet reactions. Very positive. Then there's the second sure. wave of critics writing long form reviews. And you were on the upper end of those. Those started to get a, me, a little more mixed. Me, Dana Stevens, Justin Chang were the sure. Wonder Woman crew. Joe Robinson loves it. A lot of our friends love it. And then the movie drops and people are really negative. Yeah. I, I You know, there was some dissection of the sort of way that Warner Brothers, you know, rolled it out where people who work for whatever, where some people saw it first and like you say, they'll treat, tweet a reaction and it's a very mm-hmm. positive reaction. And they were like, you know, this is the sort of the game they play. It, that's an old game. That's not new. That that no. Marvel does that. Like that's been happening for years. Like that, yeah. there's nothing new about that at all. Yeah. They, like who cares? Like whatever. That's just that's just how it works. If you you know, I wouldn't take early tweet reactions too seriously. I, you know, maybe there's sort of some fun in trying to parse enthusiasm, but usually they're going to be enthusiastic. But even as you um, said, yes. like I mean, Walter Walter Chaw had a really good thread on Twitter the other day about like you know. A practice that's probably going to fall by the wayside now because of how much everything is changing, but how, especially for like big populist blockbuster movies, critics usually saw them at screenings that were filled otherwise with like people who won a radio contest. Like even just to make sure that that critics would see a movie with a crowd that's more excited. That's it's something that's fallen out of fashion. But that was very much like the way the studios operated in like the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah. I would say if you're going to what is called a voucher screening now, yeah. that's a bad sign. That's yes. usually a sign that a, a, a studio does not have a lot of 
um, faith in the movie, or it's a sign that you're seeing the movie later because uh, you know there's there's always preview screenings that they can fit you into if you like missed a screen. But but, but, like, but Walter's point was just that like the entire psychological uh, attack there so is was, let yeah. let critics see it with people who are very excited to see it and are reacting positively yeah. to the movie, so they sit back and go, I don't know, I guess it works, even if I don't like yeah. it. They they look. Studios are going to try and sell you on their movie. Like, they always fucking not, do this. There's, there's not, always there's no shit news like there. That. That's right, right. yeah. That's always been yeah. true. And the most crucial thing is they want you to see it in a the theater. And yeah. that's true for the smallest indie. You know, if you want to, this is again pre-COVID. If you want to fight them and say like, hey, can you just send me a link? I'm busy. I can't make the screening. Whatever. They really don't like to do that because they want you to see it in a the theater because they know theaters yeah. are better. Yeah, uh, but I didn't see this in a the theater. I saw this on my television. Um, now, now, can I throw? And like, what it as did most people, although it did okay at the box office, and we will talk about that. It's, it's okay yeah. being a relative term, right? But I mean, far and away the most successful pandemic movie. Um, can I throw out like take number one? Because you're saying we we've been playing our opinions close to the vest. We haven't really told you what we thought of it. Uh, we definitely. Sure. I, I don't want to speak for Ben. I definitely like it less than you do. I think it's sure. a mess. I like it sure. more than most people. And a lot of that is me falling into my Griffin trap of I cannot help but give a movie a lot of points for being, for being this weird. compellingly weird. Right. Right. Even if I think it is unsuccessful, I'm so fascinated by so much of what she was trying to do that it's like I prefer this movie missing the mark by a lot to a movie mm -hmm. that succeeds at far more modest ambition especially in a genre that has become so cookie cutter and on rails in so many ways this is such a compellingly gonzo series of decisions made in a completely overstuffed movie that feels very uh that 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 feels very individualistic to me in certain ways hell yeah I agree. But I, but I don't think it's a good movie. I'm compelled by it. Sure. I don't think it's a good movie. I, I don't get that. I I like it, but I but that again, I, like you know, people really hate it. So I, I and I when watching it was not thinking like this isn't like when I saw the Last Jedi, you know, mm -hmm. at the big press screening and the crowd's going wild, and I'm like, damn, this thing fucking annihilated. Like this this thing is gonna rule. Everyone's gonna right. love it. There will be no you know, disagreement on that one. When yeah. I saw it, I was like, man, this movie is weird and doing a thing I did not expect at all. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of impressed by the intentionality. I was not sure how it would go over in general. Yeah. Um, and it fe also felt kind of lacking in, uh, how to put this in a nice way just kind of like cheesy girl power crap which i don't think is a patty jenkins problem <laughs> at all but it can be a an mcu or it's a comic book movie problem sure. it's a corporate movie problem where yeah. the person looks at the camera and is like mm? you know like you know that, whatever but anyway but maybe i'm wrong about that too i it's weird like i feel like the movie is 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 and isn't 
like I saw someone on Twitter call it like kind of like the ultimate tote bag feminism movie. And I think, you know, not, that's a weird thing to say. I don't get that at all. That, that that feels like a criticism of what Wonder Woman or whatever, like of of what I'm talking about. A thing yeah. that's annoying that's only been building up for years. This movie is bananas. There's that's not what this movie well, is. That's I, so much of my, my thing. I mean, like, it, you know, this is this is a, a a gripe of mine that I go back to very, very often. Right. But like. I like big eyes more than almost anyone on the planet. I understand you that sure, that is not sure do. a loved movie, right? But what no, what co- no. what continues to piss me off is that like very critics, very few critics stood up for that movie in any kind of way. It made no sure. dent at the box office, and then people were so fucking like cynical and outraged when they announced that Tim Burton was doing Dumbo. And I was kind of like, what do you fucking expect? He made the exact movie you've been asking him to make for 10 years, the small right. little indie movie without special effects, and no one gave a shit about it. Why wouldn't he right. just take his boring. ball and leave and go back... But that's that's my point. Here's a, so I I bring up this example for that exact reason, David. Where I just right. there's a part of me that wants to say to everyone who is outraged about Wonder Woman 1984, I completely understand if you despise this movie. I don't even particularly like it, but I do worry that the viciousness of the response is going to eh. discourage anyone from being this weird. I I I I will push back slightly against that by being like at the end of the day it is a superhero movie there's going to be billions of them like I know what you mean though I know the fear is like whatever like a person like Jenkins doesn't get to write her own check as much right. even though these movies make money ball right like that Warner Brothers that a studio it's like the last Jedi thing an unambiguous success obviously right. Right. But it's, at it's the, the same, same time, thing. one that caused a corporation to panic and be like, right. ah, is that too weird? Should we just like, you know, do like Luke Skywalker? Like, ah, you know, like that, that just that vibe. Yeah. Yes. That's that's my but, fear. At the end of the day, they're all fucking superhero movies. There's too damn many of them. Agreed. Okay. Um, I'll say so this. Spend way that. in. Tag in. Wish logic is a weird thing to explore in a movie. Love it. It's definitely Love like playground. Kind of re- like remind me of like yeah. Well, I get ultimate wishes plus four because right, right and, and infinity plus, plus one three. situation. Yeah, yes. I mean, look, look. Katie Rich texted me halfway through this movie, and she was like, "I don't get it. He wished to be the the rock." And I'm like, Katie, it's a wishing for all infinite wishes thing. He's just, yeah. he's just doing the six year old like, well, if I got a lamp from a genie, See, that's what I would do. If he became the character Monkey Paw, <laughs> right. then right. I could be like, oh, okay, this guy's a well, villain. You, he's you, got a name. He's you got like a costume. Animal fists. That's what I'm saying. You, you, he had, he yeah. became a little crumpled up fist. But this is like another example of where I'm just sort of so confused by the state of like blockbuster superhero discourse, where as many have pointed out, like anyone complaining about the fact that I cannot believe this movie is about a wishing stone is conveniently forgetting that the entire Marvel Cinematic
cinematic universe Infinity is stones. about a guy who builds a glove to fit five wishing stones. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's the silliest thing in the world, which no one like the Russo brothers aren't going to sit down and be like, oh, no, the Infinity Stones are real and they're a metaphor for. No, they're going to be like, yeah, they're magic fucking rocks. One's right. a power rock. One's a space rock. That one gets, gets you to space. Like, come on. Right. And David, what has always been my biggest complaint about how the MCU handled Thanos? That he wasn't in love with death, and like yeah, that's the, the kind of thing they took more, out all the Richard Donner vibe, operatic right. superhero goofiness. Where I go, like, if we can't get to that point, then what the fuck are we doing here? And to that degree, I love that this movie is unabashedly just about a magical wishing stone. I love how goofy oh, that yeah. is. I agree with yes. Ben though that the problem is not that it's about a wishing stone. I think the rules of the stone are it's so incoherent. <laughs> Look, I'm going to come out and say it because I know this is against this is like when Ben went from, you know, being a wet boy to a sandy boy. Yeah. But I don't give a shit about the rules. Who cares? Be careful what you wish for. We get it. It's bad. You're going to get something good, but it's not going to work out. Who cares? I think think the movie fails at even making that point clearly. Like, I am not asking for internal logic. This is a movie about a world where gods exist and they made a cursed stone. I get it. I don't right. need to understand the chemical properties of the stone. I don't need fucking like, you know, a, a, a bill of, of instructions with the stone. But I do feel like watching this film every 20 minutes, I was confused trying to recalibrate how the stone works, even just to the degree to jump way ahead. There's the whole stretch of the movie after Pedro Pascal becomes the stone where it feels like in order for a wish to happen, he needs to talk someone into saying the wish for him. They need to say, I wish. But but even Uh, if it's something that he wants, it feels like, oh, he's the stone, which means he can't make the wishes himself. And then he starts making the wishes himself again. No, he doesn't. He only can make the wishes himself once he is connected to everybody by satellite. I'm so confused. Before then, before then, he's cursed. That's why there's that ridiculous, even I will, I cannot defend, scene where there's a like a PowerPoint, an 80s PowerPoint explaining yes. the satellite where it's like, yeah, technically it's touching people. And like, it's like, oh, okay, all right, I guess that, you know, that's, that's how we're going to make this uh, third act scale versus him just walking around and touching people. Well, but I, David, it feels like he's he's granting people wishes and getting something out of it. But then at some point, he's like Sometimes, going to his yeah. driver. He's like, boy, could, wouldn't you wish that traffic would part like the yeah. Red Sea? And the guy's like, yes, I yeah. wish that. And then it's like he's yes. kind of getting his way. So yes. there's a lot of mixed messaging it's, around how the mechanics of it needs, work. It's the dual. He thinks that if he becomes the stone, then it's it's the it is. We're going to talk about this movie soon, but Jafar wanting to be a genie where he's yes. like, oh, the genies are the most powerful. I should be that. And it's like, no, if you're a genie, you can only do what someone asks you to do. Yes. Because even though you have omnipotent power, you are bound by laws of geniehood. He's like, uh, I should just be the wishing stone. No, no, no. Not only are you going to need other people to make wishes that you want to have happen, but you are going to have an insatiable need to grant wishes because that is your purpose. Yes. It's great. It's a banana. It's so silly. Love I it. Mean, He's David, a stone. He shouldn't have become the stone. 
David, this movie's silliness is the main thing it has going for me in its eyes. You don't have yeah, to sell right. me on the silliness. That is my entire defense for the portion of this movie that I like is the silliness. But I do feel like the movie does not even like I'm not saying I didn't get it. Obviously, I understood. But I feel like the movie does not clearly set up the monkey paw aspect in terms mm. of just like when you get montages of all the wishes happening, they focus on mm. wishes that are bad in the first place. Right. And I've seen right. so many That's people fair. saying like, well, I don't understand. The movie's all about how everyone has to give up their wish as if no one wished for something that was actually like positive. And then the response to that is, well, the entire idea is that if you wish for something positive, it's a monkey paw, it would get cursed, it would somehow fuck sure. with you. But when the but movie, you're seeing people who are like, I wish that person would die, and then they I wish, die, I wish like, all oh, the oh, Irish no! would be thrown into paddy wagons. Like <laughs> the movie so frontlines bad, selfish wishes that they sure, because the it's a movie it, about selfishness. Yeah, I but understand. Yes, yes, I get what you're but saying. I just think right. it's one of these things where it's like. Well, a, a, a movie, even if you are able to infer what a movie is trying to say, sometimes, especially with like populist, you know, entertainment, if a movie doesn't say the thing clearly, it is hard to process it emotionally. You understand intellectually, I guess this is what they were trying to do, but it's it makes it hard to actually engage with it. And that's like that's a perfect example of it where it's like you need to show some good wishes and then people getting the fucking bad end of the stick. You can't just show people who are like, I'm a racist. Well, I wish I had well, more nuclear weapons. Well, I would reply, and I already feel ridiculous how much I'm defending this movie that nobody likes, but that we've been watching the opposite for the whole movie because Chris Pine is here, and we know that he's here in this cursed way, and she can't think about it, and no one's thinking about, you know, the bad stuff, but... That's what the Chris Pine wishes. It's this wonderful thing that's happening to her that we immediately know is terrible because he's not just back. He's in the body of someone else. And um, I think that's a very crucial decision the movie is making to communicate okay. so let's what a terrible this, thing this is. But other people are like, why the fuck is that happening? But that's, that's but, but this is and my issue with it, David. They don't treat hmm. that as the bad end of the monkey paw, right? They treat she's losing her power as the repercussion. They do, which I don't think is necessary because two reasons. One, what you're saying. And two, we've been there. Like, I, there's so many of these. And I know there's so many superhero movies now yeah. that it's hard not to go back to the same wells. But, like, like haven't, like, obviously... Spider-Man did that. I feel like there's just a lot of it's movies also, that have It done almost that now. always happens on the two. It's like Spider-Man 2, Superman Happens on the two. two. Yeah. And like happens on the second act for 20 to 30 minutes. And there's that yes. moment where it's like, oh, wait, what? I'm wounded. You know, and it's like, duh, yeah. duh, 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 what's going on? My vision isn't working. And then you're like, yeah, well, can we just fucking get to your power's working again when the score's going to kick in and you're going to kick some right. ass, right? You know what I mean? Like, we just know it's delaying the inevitable. I also feel like so much of what they got right in the first movie is, like, 
you know, on paper, everyone being like, how are you ever going to make a fucking Wonder Woman movie? Right. And for so many years, this movie was in development hell because it was just like, how do you fucking execute this character in like a post Gen X landscape? Everyone struggled to do Superman since Christopher Reeve. That was a more innocent time, at least in terms of like the tone of movies and whatever. And here's this character who's a literal god and is perfect and is statuesque and all this sort of shit. Like, how do you do it? Right. And how do you make their be any sort of tension or conflict with someone who's who's really so, kind of the Superman issue. Right. Right. And I think what was so smart about the first movie is she really approaches the character on an ideological level. Right. She's fighting ideological battles. It's not the tension of mm-hmm. whether or not she will successfully be able to beat this guy because she's fucking Wonder Woman. It's she's the question about strong. whether or not she can win moral arguments. And I think an issue with this movie is that. When you get to that shit of like the weird body swap nature of Chris Pine being in some other dude's human shell, you cannot tell because they tie it so much to her losing her powers, whether that's just a riff on I like 80s body swap movies, I'm making a weird 80s comedy or if there's supposed to be some moral reckoning there because it feels like they truly spend so little time being concerned about who the fuck this guy was, which is why I think it makes people so uncomfortable. It was not a thing that made me uncomfortable and like the extrapolations that people have made about like the inhumanity of how the Christopher Paloha character is treated is like I would never go that far, but I understand why people are spiraling on it because the movie's Mm. attitude to it is very strange. That's yeah. fair. That, that, like, that's, is it that's being John Malkovich? Is he inside? But then he doesn't right. recognize her later in the movie. He no, seems to yeah, have I just been like, oh, I lost a portion of my life. He's shut down. Right. He's right. I, I also think there might be like a kind of general like that was a mania that we all forget, you know, like, right. Like, cause like the whole world just goes yes. insane for a week. So maybe everyone's just like, ugh. I don't know. I mean, I look, I another idea I like a lot on paper and I even like a little bit in execution is making one of these superhero movies where I, I mean, someone tweeted yesterday. Uh, I'm going to keep citing tweets and not giving credit because there's been too many tweets about this movie and I can't remember who said what. But someone tweeted something like. What kind of superhero movie is this? Is it one of those we need to close the gates or one of those we need to get the port, the orb? Right. Right. And it's like one of those things where like portal in the sky. Right. These movies tend to fall into. Is there an opening that we need to close or is there an object we need to reclaim or is it both of them at the same time? And I do like that this movie, the threat is essentially is society going to eat itself alive. Right. I like that. Absolutely. The third act of this movie is like strange days where it's just like everything is just going to shit and we're all just like tearing each other apart. I think that is compelling i mean these are the reasons i cannot throw this movie out with the bathwater because it's just Mm. like there's shit going on there in the ways in which i think she so successfully patty jenkins analyzed in the first movie what are all the things that are getting tiring about superhero movies and what are the fundamental tenets that we've moved away from that are the only reasons to be telling these stories in the first place and i think she she isn't as well calibrated on this one but i am Mm. so compelled by how much she is clearly trying to answer these questions i mean your biggest take is that like the movie is her doing a richard donner riff 
And people need to view it through the prism of recognizing how goofy those movies were and how much latitude those movies had by not being invested in reality and owning that they're based on baby books where silly things happen. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, as everyone knows, Superman ends with Superman flying around the earth backwards so fast that he turns back time. A, A thing that doesn't even make sense if you're six, no, like when you know, if we, when you're six, you're like, why would the Earth going backwards reverse time? Wouldn't that, it just like make yeah. tidal waves, like something terrible? Like, but you're just like, whatever, I get it, right? And when Superman and Lois yeah. Lane fly for the first time, she has an internal monologue poem set to music, like all this stuff. Where yes, like, it's yes. very easy to clown on, but also, isn't that what we should be That's doing? The vibe. Like, Right, right, right. Agree with you And, like, of course, Donner was kind of inventing a genre that didn't exist. And I think was, you know, even though comic books right around when Superman came out were starting to get darker and Gwen Stacy was dying. But still, like, he's more tapped into, like, these are are silly, fun, operatic, you know, right? Like, that's that's, that's what the tone should be, right? There's a Superman here. Well, they don't Uh, sing, though. I don't get it. What do you mean? That's an old well for Ben yeah, to return that's a to. Classic. The opera malapropism. <laughs> the malapropra. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. So that's part of my vibe. But also, I mean, I really liked the um, interview she gave with The Times, which I was mm-hmm. talking to you about, yes. where she said she wanted to end a superhero movie where nobody dies and she wins with a conversation. She wanted to have um, this villain who's this, you know, obviously Trumpy 80s businessman, but also he's an immigrant who's pretending to, you know, imitate, he's imitating success that he's seen and he's frosting his hair. He's trying to look like he's white. Like, um, but beyond that, the thing you said about ideological, like how the first Wonder Woman movie is very much like you say, like she is fighting war and she is fighting man's yes cynical nature right and she is an icon of uh goodness in that right yeah this is the same you know it's it's the same thing it's just that rather than do a world war ii movie which i imagine plenty of people expected yes uh from her right um she's like yeah i'll set it in in this other time of great cynicism and i'm going to try and directly say like this is the tidal wave that's crashing on our shores now like this is where it's building up like this is the this is the sort of sinful time like yeah these are all interesting ideas i love all this stuff i'm like for the first time in a while taking notes now because i have so many specific things to unpack that i want to make sure i don't forget them here's the thing i'll say fair enough I i think it was in that new york times interview she said that she like that people always criticize the ending of the first movie and it bums her out because she wasn't happy with the first movie either. And that was like the one big Uh thing that Warner brothers made her change that she didn't want it to be that much of a CGI fire and brimstone fight thing. But I, I was just like, this thing can't lack that we're going to need a showdown. It it can't end with a conversation. And she really wanted to, what I really like about the ending of the first wonder woman and why I've always defended it is I feel like she 
threaded the needle. I feel like she did both at once. If you look at that final sequence, despite the fact that it's got dodgy CGI Peter Thulis That's the problem. and all this right. molten David lava. Thulis. Right, right. But but yeah. th- she's barely fighting him. It is still fundamentally a conversation. I think people just get so turned off by the fact that the visuals are aping what they've seen in 8,000 of these movies, even though it dramatically what's happening textually is exactly what she was trying to do. The, I just want to say the entire problem, I think, I assume for people, it's just the visuals and the weirdly sort of low stakes, which it's because yeah. it's crowbar did, I would assume. And but yeah. like what I love is what you're talking about and the pine sacrifice stuff that is, I think, very effective and beautifully yeah. done, like, you know, uh, which is happening at the same time. OK, so I, I'm going to try to organize my thoughts here. But here's let's let's talk about the pine thing right now. OK, because. All right. All right. This movie was shot two and a half years ago, right? That's like another weird thing with this movie is that it was shot summer 2018. It was supposed to come out Christmas 2019. They pushed it back because they thought they would need more time for the effects. And then like November 2019, Patty Jenkins was kind of like, oh, we finished it early. I guess we could have released it Christmas. Too bad. Well, at least people get it in the summer. And then the world ended. So then it's this weird movie that's now been finished for so long that's sitting on a shelf that keeps on getting pushed back two months at a time yada 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 it's had a lot of time for people to think about it and build up expectations in their mind including like a trailer that played for so long that people were so fucking jazzed about right like i feel like overall people love that fucking trailer and like oh my god blue monday cover this it fucking rules but i i was thinking back to the moment when the sequel gets announced the title gets announced the supporting cast gets announced the villains get announced a lot of those details get announced the chris pine thing did not get announced until the movie was filming because i i specifically remember it was like patty jenkins tweeted a picture of him on set in the outfit Mm -hmm. like with the fanny pack and said look who's back and the internet went like what wait he's back How are they handling this? What is this? What is this movie about? And then there was so much time where that answer was not clear because the movie was sitting on a shelf, right? Correct. They wanted to keep it a secret. And then once you see the trailer, it's not explicit, but there is Maxwell Lord sort of going like, you can have whatever you want. And there's him kind of just appearing. And you're like, okay, so it's not like, I mean, he, this is mystical and this is, this isn't like. Right. I don't know, like a wormhole opening. And it's also not like I'm his grandson or right, like whatever that would be. Now, here's my issue. I feel mm. like the first Wonder Woman movie in a way that these films rarely do successfully set up and landed the execution of Steve Trevor kind of being her Uncle Ben. Mm hmm. Right. Of that being like the really impactful. That's, it's death. a formative. Right. Right. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. kind of like it guides her compass for the rest of her life as a superhero, as a human being. Well, she's not a human being. She's a god. But like, I feel like, she's a god. you know, more so than than, uh, you know, most Spider-Man adaptations, certainly more so than I think uh, Marvel ever handled the Bucky thing. I think that worked so well. And his sacrifice, as you said, was so meaningful that the moment mm. That picture went up and it was clear he was in the movie. I got really nervous. Right. And I've remained excited Mm -hmm. about this movie. But that was always the element that was really nerve wracking to me. My hope was like, please tell me he's going to be like Gusto and Ratatouille. You get to have Pine be in the movie and get to have them have scenes together. But it's just a projection of her mind. I don't want him to be undead because I think his death being permanent is kind of important. And then I. 
sit there watching this movie and every single scene that he was on screen, I became more and more convinced of how disastrous bringing him back was. But but wait, but they did gusto him. They, that's what they do. They don't because I mean, that's the, what he is. No, he's it, no, it, well, I disagree can, with you can because I make it, his death is permanent. He's a vision. He's he's not real. Like he's she summons him out of her mind and then he goes away. But but in Ratatouille, you literally have like you yeah, are okay, having it's conversations not exactly with Gusto. But I'm saying like That's he's not want. undead. He's not back. He's not returned to the universe for good. He is this phantom because she has to get over him. Like I don't know. Again, I'm defending this because I liked it and nobody else liked it. Like so, yeah. I cannot or not nobody, but lots of people didn't like it. But I found it to be this very powerful. Be careful what you wish for fantasy of a person you lost. Like, not like, like I wasn't like crying tears, but I'm like, yeah, man, that's what I'd wish for. I get it. Like, and you know what? It wouldn't work out. And it's that that's what grief is. And like, if you're going to make three movies, which supposedly she will, I get that as the second movie is that that's the temptation. That's her Uh, humanity, you know, like, you know, presenting itself in physical form. Like, that's what she craves being human. I think it's this great metaphor for like, she wants to, you know, be a normal person, which is to me the classic superhero. It's the Superman thing, right? Like that, you know, the superhero dilemma. I wish I could be normal. Sure. And there he is, but it's not going to be normal. And he's, you know, he's dead. He blew up. He exploded. Here's my hot pitch, okay? Yes. You said you had, you told me this, that you had yeah. one of your classic rewrites yeah. where you think it would, it, would, it would help the movie, like, overall. And I, I ran I ran this by Ben as well and was like workshopping it with uh, with him. OK. Yes. I, I think one of the main assets like of the first Wonder Woman is that it is so focused in what it's saying. Right. To a degree that some people could clown on it for being like, oh, it's sort of corny and simple. But it's like she understands right. you've got to just have a really clean spine to these things. You want the hero's mantra to be like a sentence. You know, you want that to be the thing that's guiding every one of their decisions. And you understand the ideological battle that she's fighting. And this movie, I just feel like. There's such an overabundance of ideas that it's very hard to keep track of what the actual thing going on with Diana internally is, which is a complaint I've seen from a lot of people is to a lot Mm -hmm. of to a large degree. Diana feels kind of lost for a large chunk of this movie. Yes. She gets caught in weird narrative cul-de-sacs. She doesn't get a ton to do. I think part of that is sort of like the Batman Returns ambition of like, Mm -hmm. can you have this sort of three-way narrative? Can you give the villains kind of complete arcs? I think both of the villain arcs work better than Diana's arc works in the movie. Like like you say, classic superhero scene. I mean, uh, Dark Knight has that problem, right? Like so many do. Totally. Dark Knight has the exact same dilemma for its hero. He wants to be a regular person. Right. And I think with Batman, that's often a sequel thing because you do all the psychological heavy lifting in the first movie. And in the second movie, you're like, I guess we've kind of solved this guy. It has to be more (laughs) about... I have to stop you there. I still don't know what's up with Batman, though. Did something happen to him? 
Like, oh, David, is, was there like an issue early that made him into, you know, being a bat guy? Like, was there something sad? David, you don't have to David. answer this now, but I, oh, yeah. What's up? I no, I can't answer it now because you're going to be so <laughs> sad. devastated. You won't be able to record the rest of this episode. You're going to be mean, shocked I, when I, you hear what happened. I can't bat. imagine. I wouldn't be devastated at all unless, of course, it involved, you know, uh, maybe a Zorro movie or something. But oh, apart from David, that, like there's really David. I don't have a lot of emotional buttons that can be pressed. David, but David. anyway. Pearls, it, it might, pearls get to might, me. Oh, David. I don't even know how to tell you this. Not only might it involve a Zora movie, but in certain interpretations, it involves an ironic use of bats through art. I don't even know how to... Oh, David. God, this sounds so sad. It sounds That's like okay. something that you should definitely just portray every five years on God, screen. It's but wait, 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 wait. Okay, but okay. My point You're is, building my point to your is, big fix. I'm yeah, sorry. So Batman, as a, as a certain degree, once you've set up the foundation in your first movie, he, he doesn't become a cipher, but he sort of becomes like a detective in a procedural, right? Like the movie is just watching yeah. high-functioning Batman solve It's a thing. lot of, what, what do you think, Batman? He's like, right, we should do this. It's like, all right, well, you know, he's here. Right. Whereas Wonder Woman and Superman are characters who are so elemental and are so, like, godlike that they need yeah. to represent shit, right? Like, that, that, that has to be the thing of, like, what's the morality of them and all this sort of shit. And this movie, I think it's like... You can at the end of it parse like, oh, I guess these were all the different things they were trying to say. But like when she gives her big impassioned speech at the end of the movie and she tells everyone you have to renounce your wishes, it feels like an odd sort of thing to frame because we've only focused on the negative wishes and she's telling everyone like you can't get what you want which is a weird thing coming right. from someone who pretty much has all the power in the world and is vulnerable and all this sort of shit no but she does it because she wants to be a regular person with a okay. nice guy on a ranch and let's be on i'll say it chris pine quite handsome she'd like to to look on that face every once in a while but you know what she can't have it instead she has to be an icy museum employee who also occasionally maybe fights crime is in malls who knows well this is another fundamental problem with the movie for me this is the bigger problem perhaps an unavoidable problem because of the whole extended universe i'm assuming i'm assuming what you're gonna say yes First of all, you realize, oh, there's a very good reason why no one has ever made a sequel with the same lead character set 70 years after the first movie. <laughs> because it is just such a gulf to gap in your mind of like, what has happened What's to this character? Doing? Right. <laughs> right. And especially when, because as, as I think we're both in agreement on, when you're kind of fucked by the bricks laid out by the extended universe, you have Batman versus Superman, which I know Patty Jenkins to some degree is in a bubble and ignores a lot of the Snyder bricklaying, but yeah, also but you, she's you, a little right. reined in. You have that movie where Diana, it's so hard for Batman to find the world's greatest detective to find one picture yeah. of her because she's been laying so low for the better part of a century. That yes. you now are stuck making these sequels where the great thing is they're free because they're prequels. They're set before. You don't touch these movies. This, the bad thing is Wonder Woman can have so little impact on the world at large. She's a DC hero who has to basically be like a famous blur. Like she can't right. even be Wonder Woman. She, she's like a, a, a used car salesman doing local TV I mean, commercials. Yeah. This this is the whole thing, though, with the extended universe, with everything about their approach. Everyone mocks 
the sort of sameness of the MCU and the dictatorial yes. status of Kevin Feige. But he's the one who's going to be like, well, you, if you do that, you're going to have this problem 10 years from now. Right. Right. And no one, no one in fucking Batman land is like, well, wait, what's Wonder Woman been doing for 100 years if we're saying that she was in World War One? It's like, oh, I don't know. Like, n- just clearly everyone's like, ah, whatever. She was doing something. Who cares? Like, well, yes. and like now you just have this problem where you like, so she was really on board with stopping World War One right at the end of World War One, And then she yeah. what? Like, got really she into ate dinner by herself all the time. <laughs> ate dinner with the rudest ass waiter who's like, are you alone? And she's like, yeah, I'm alone. And he's like, I guess I'll clear your plate away. The noisily... Fucking, I'll pick up every plate and bash it together just to make it clear. I'm clearing plates. I don't think, and to some degree, this is bumping up against perhaps the limitations of Gal Gadot as an actress who I think is very effective when used properly. I don't think the movie accurately conveys the weight of that existential loneliness Yeah, it, ju- look, it just feels like, it, oh, she's having say. a bad month, right? Like, that's the problem. All that stuff is framed. Like, I don't know she, if this... She's mo- not great at ennui, Gal Gadot. Right, right. Know, and like, I, that's just really not her. And I don't know if this movie needs some fucking, like, up married life sequence where you, like, do a montage mm. of 70 years of her watching everyone she loves dies. Like, there's... The right. only moment where you get, like, a, a glint of it kind of working, and it's so quick, is the photo of her with old Etta Kane on the nightstand and i'm like i need more of that i need more of the fill-in of her living what must be like a fucking cullen family vampire life where every 10 years people realize she's not aging she picks up she abandons everything and starts fresh like i need that that, emotional weight it's a good pitch and honestly i they should have done it and i have no idea if this was a problem but again That kind of sounds like Captain America, like, it, yeah. which, of course, you can repeat it like it's fine. Yes. But like, it is crazy where I'm like, is there a certain point, Warner Brothers, when you're announcing you're going to do six of these a year that you might want to start thinking about the fact that a lot of comic book stories have been put on screen at this point? Like, right. There might not be too many new angles here yes. outside of the Marvel thing of we've got this world that you love. And we're going to bounce new characters off each other. We're going to bring someone in who kind of, you know, like, you know, they mm-hmm. they because they have the world. But DC yeah. doesn't have the world. They've kind of avoided the world, which is fine. You know, yeah. like that's that's an approach. But anyway, that's a, that's a large. Yeah, and if anything, DC's largest issue is that they are not wholly embracing l- treat everything as a standalone make it a fucking multiverse make it whatever it feels like they're doing it in some ways but in other ways it gets really fuzzy yes um, um but but yes. this is but this your is big my, pitch so this is my big pitch all that was important setup for what i think emotionally doesn't work in the movie and and what i think actually would would execute yes. the the intent of the film better so much of it as you said is also like oh here's the 80s like you know th- this this fulcrum point in american culture where things went from being bad to horrific and we're still feeling like you know the ripple effects of uh, today not I, I make it very clear I'm not saying that things weren't horrific before the 80s but but so many of our specific modern cultural issues start from Reagan era America, right? Sure. Uh, yes, and absolutely. this sort of uh, dramatic the, the reformation. Me- 
the me obsession, all this sort of shit, right? Mm-hmm. That she's mm-hmm. trying to do with this, uh, you know, very sort of broad perception of what the 80s represented. Uh, but so much of the movie, as you said, should be this kind of thing of like Diana just being done, just being dead inside, not knowing what to right. do. And also questioning, like, how fucked is humanity innately, right? Like, is there a thing worth saving here? In World War One, it's literally the idea of a war. In, World, in, in Wonder Woman 1984, I am completely on board with it being people making shitty wishes and like attacking each other in the streets and it not needing to be something that literal right right it does feel like if the movie is going to be about her making a selfish monkey paw wish at the expense of humanity because she feels like she needs something for herself and especially with the way this movie starts It feels like what organically the story should be is her wishing to bring the mascara back. Okay, like bring the whole thing back? Yeah, because you have this gift in the universe, which is the island was destroyed. Everyone she grew up with was destroyed. Her family was destroyed. She's from this idyllic place. And then she came to the land of man and tried to fight against the innate shittiness of our species. Right. And by the end of Wonder Woman one, she kind of wins. But if you're making a movie that's at 70 years later and she's beaten down and she's miserable, and especially when the movie starts with like, oh, here she was in the competition. There were morals here. There were rules here. There were lessons here. There was a structure here that worked. It feels like the movie should be like, I regret ever coming to the world. I regret ever coming to the mainland. I should have stayed on Themyscira. I miss my mother. I miss everybody. I want to go back there. Feel like shit. Just want to go back there. And the movie is her abandoning humanity Wait, in order to go back to question. her world and give up on it. Yeah. When did Themyscira get blown up? Did I, 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 I literally forgot that. When, when did that happen? Okay, so I was trying to pinpoint when it happened and I also can't remember if it happens in Justice League or it happens... In Wonder Woman, but it definitely happens. It, it, it doesn't happen in Wonder Woman. There's the, no way. I, I don't remember Justice League at all, apart from that Steppenwolf is in, I don't know, like Themyscira at some point, getting a box. I remember that he gets a box. But it, it definitely, in Wonder Woman, she just leaves Themyscira. It's not blown up. Her... Uh, oh, Robin Wright th- dies, doesn't she? Right. Or Robin someone Wright dies. dies. Uh, Am I, is it? Is it that... They tell her that she can't go back if she leaves. Am I misremembering? Is that uh, what it is? I just I, I should have re- so. I should have rewatched the first one, but I just distinctly remember there is like a rule set up in that movie about why she's never going to be able to see her mother again. That that's the thing I don't remember right, and it's been a while since I thought uh, since I saw the first one. But right, like that, I was wondering at watching eighty four where I'm like. Um, yeah, is she not allowed to go back? I forgot what the rules are. Like, right. what, what are the rules of her leaving? She clearly a, has not gone back. Right, and there's a reason why Themyscira is only a flashback in uh, right. Justice League as well. Wait, though, I, I, yes. I feel like, I'm sorry. I Once again, it's like Wonder Woman I haven't rewatched. I should have done for this episode. Justice League I will probably never rewatch again in that cut. I swear well, to you. We're going to fe- watch a different cut. I feel like there's a... We, we will, unfortunately, be watching the Snyder Cut. We have to. We have no choice. We are legally beholden. But uh, I feel like there's a scene in Justice League, and I'm sure people are fucking yelling at the podcast right now, in which you see Connie Nielsen 
like a, a, mounting the army to fight against Steppenwolf and he comes in and fucking slays everybody. No, he doesn't kill everybody. I I think you're you're transposing something here. He doesn't he gets the mother box but then he leaves cuz he's always fucking leaving. That's Steppenwolf's whole thing. He, he loves, loves to leave. leave. Yeah. Gets the box and gets out of there. He does it in Aquaville, Atlantis, uh, but he does it in Themyscira. But no, he doesn't kill. And, and let me make something People clear. would have lost their damn minds if he killed all the fucking uh, I think he did. Amazons. I mean, I might be misremembering something, but I want to make something incredibly clear. Yes. I, I hate to see Steppenwolf leave, but I love to watch <laughs> him go. He thick. He thick. Space elevator. He's absolutely he is in it. Thick. He's going to look different in. The Snyder Cut, right? Yeah, he's now gonna, he's sharper. Maybe shinier or something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, look, excited for that. Excited for that movie to come out and fucking blow. I this is my throwing my marker down. I'm like that thing's gonna stink. This is getting weird. Everyone's like excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think it's gonna be good. That guy is not my my tempo, but I am excited sure. to watch it. I, it's just no, such me a too. Very excited. Why not? Occurrence. It's gonna be four hours long, right? Is that true? Yeah, it's, it's, it's yes, four one-hour episodes. It's being treated like Roots, the miniseries. Uh, <laughs> my my point is, I've clearly fucked this up, and I can't remember the details, but I still mm. think, I just remember that conclusively there is some reason why the door is closed to her, and yes. I feel like the movie would work if it was about her choosing Themyscira over the yes. world of man, rather than it being, I want to spend more time with my dead boyfriend of one week from 70 years ago. Your, your point is well taken. I, I think... The the lure of Themyscira and her sisterhood and her you know yeah. people is not addressed in this movie at all, and I no. don't really know why. There's the the, the, the sort of opening sequence because Patty Jenkins said like we needed to see it. Yeah, um, you know, especially because some people maybe haven't even seen Wonder Woman one. You need at least some uh, reminder that this is where she's from. But there, that's that sequence is very much a kind of like. You need to be selfless. Like it's it's a moral yeah. lesson that she's learning, not any uh, wider universe shit. But that's the um, weird thing for me, I just in terms of like, what is the story trying to be? It does feel like this is a movie about her becoming increasingly disenfranchised with the modern world and her isolation and loneliness within it. It just feels like the movie wants to be about her missing home more then it's about I can't meet a guy. And I know that's reductive for me to frame it that way, but I feel like the way the movie presents it ends up feeling a little bit well reductive. I think that the the reductiveness, right, is like where you're like you're saying the scenes where it's like, oh, you're alone? You're walking home alone? Like a yeah. lot of that stuff. But, you know, the movie is there's the loving pans over the, you know, the the pictures of the ranch and the watch and all that stuff. You know, yeah. like I, I see it more. And people were like, why isn't she over? I'm like, she's an immortal fucking person. Like 70 years is like, you know, 15 minutes. Also, she's still uh, sad yeah, about yeah. it. To give her credit, I, I would never get over Chris Pine. Neither would I, especially not Chris Pine and Wonder Woman. That is like primo cutie Chris Pine. That's like Chris Pine with all the dials to 10. Like, yes. very, very charming. Look, visually, I agree with you 100%. But when he re-enters this movie and I realize how they're setting him up and I got that on an easy pit in my stomach, I went, well, but their chemistry is going to be so good, uh, it will mm. waylay my fears. And okay, I so don't, this I will allow. They don't yeah. have the same energy they have in the first movie. And I think a lot of that is just <laughs> script issues. I'm not blaming either of them as performers. 
that's so much of what makes the first movie work is just that shit you can't bottle and you can't fucking pay for of just like their back and forth actually just crackles for me in my opinion and in this movie it feels a little more boilerplate of just like yeah this feels like what most love interest dynamic scenes are like in these movies I think you are right. I I mean, I think they're they're perfectly cute and he's got some fun scenes or they're whatever. Cute. They they're don't fine. They, they don't have crackling chemistry partly cuz there's just the weird kind of like what is this like, you know, chunk of them reuniting. And then he becomes like helper boy and the whole audience knows he can't stick around. Like that's been yeah. set up pretty much from minute 1 anyway. And also, it's just hard to do a meet cute twice. Like, so I, I, I don't mind his thematic purpose. I'm more defensive about that. But I can't disagree that, yeah, you know, they're not as fun to. I mean, I don't think Godot is utterly lost in this movie. Like, I think she does a good job with the big final, you know, uh, speech. Like, I, there are moments yeah. where I, I'm into her. She's also just a very striking movie star type figure. Like, she's, you know, even though maybe limited as an actress like just look you know, I, you know my whole take. she's, she's like the female john wayne it's that same thing where it's like right. she's got this limited strike zone but within it she's so fucking effective on screen um and uh you know so that's what, but like you know there are moments where it she, i don't know she feels a little lost like you say or just yeah. unable to play whatever ennui she's supposed to be playing and that sort of translates as bored or yes. just detached. And I guess the character is detached, but like, you know, at a certain point, how compelling is that? It right? was such an asset for the first movie, the sort of like single minded focus of Wonder Woman. It plays to Godot's strengths as an actress of just being in the moment, right? And being sort of objective based rather than having to play introspection, right? And, and inner yeah. sort of struggle and whatever. Because uh, it's just that movie is like, you know, oh, I need to find Ari's or I want to eat this ice cream right now. Like everything is so Great. experiential for her. Scene. Right. And it's like yes. those are both ends of the spectrum, whether it's like the big stakes of the movie or the little character moments. There's so much about her living in that moment. And I, I think... Yes, it, it is not perhaps the best thing to put this character through or the best thing to ask this actor to do. The fish out of water stuff, also cliched, but just a cliche that works and that she leans into because yes. Gal Gadot is kind of otherworldly. She's Absolutely. just like, again, very striking, very beautiful, yeah. very put together. So she does kind of seem like a bit of an alien walking through these you know new places and so that's fun and they i don't know everything is they use all that really well one that's an inescapable issue of well you can't replicate that now like you know you can't replicate it two scenes of chris pine not understanding how 80s clothes works but it's not the same thing right it's funny because i'm thinking about marvel and like i compare these movies to marvel because that's what warner brothers has in its head i you know not that not that i think perry jenkins has it in his in her head but uh as much it's funny how Marvel also initially sort of struggled with the sequels. Iron Man 2 is bad. Yeah. You know, the Thor sequel. Yeah. People are wrong about the dark world. Yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, there's another obvious one that I'm forgetting. Griffin, help me out. Uh, uh, sort of slightly disappointing second movies. Maybe not. Um, yeah. Because like Winter Soldier is kind of where it turns start to turn yeah, around. And I love feel that like movie. Yeah. They do, but then beyond, like beyond, you know, it's like I just after that, I feel like then they kind of crack the second movie, 
And yeah. again, everything in Marmula, Marvel, Marmula, everything in Marvel is formula to some extent. Yeah. That's why I said Marmula. But like, you know what? Like Guardians 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp. These movies are just like good. Oh, Avengers Age of Ultron is the other. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. Movie. Of yes. course. Of course. Yes. Um, you know, broadly seen as. Yeah. Um, but uh, right. Like, it's just like, yeah, just plus, you know, m- more of what people liked. Right. Similar stakes, like, you know, and then some nice university table setting stuff, you know, like that. They just sort of figured that formula out. And it's a tough formula. And to be very clear, when when you read interviews with like Chloe Zhao talking about working on the Eternals, who fucking knows? But it does sound like perhaps she has been able to make a movie that's a little bit different. When when Very excited if when we talked off, to yeah. uh, Nia DaCosta off mic, the things she told us about working with Marvel were very exciting, like genuinely exciting. And it sounds like they yes. really are hiring her for the right reason and, and bringing her in to do the right sort of shit. If there was ever a time where Marvel was going to enter a period of a little more ex- uh, experimentation with the flexibility of their world, it would certainly feel like it would be now post- end game where they don't really have anything to prove right right that's the part of it they can try they can be weird right, right that's whatever, the hope whatever. that's the hope excited by hope. you know some of their hires and some of the choices and all that sort of stuff I'm genuinely optimistic want to see it happen because i want to see uh that level of uh, flexibility within the genre the the problem yes. that plagues marvel so often is the the fast food thing where it's like they got the quality control down it's going to taste the same wherever you go it's never going to be awful it might be better but it's never going to be uh, you know, a five-star restaurant or whatever, right? Even though, obviously, there are movies in that franchise that we love and movies that taste very much like uh, a mediocre burger. Um, right. I, I will always prefer watching a movie like this where it's like she's making unsafe choices, even if those choices are ultimately yeah. proven to be unsafe because uh, that's not how a story works. You shouldn't do that. It will lose the audience. I like that sense of just like, let's... Let's fuck with this. Right. And and you talk about the tonal thing. I go into this. I watch this movie and I know that you liked it and you're curious to hear what I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, then absolutely. the public opinion comes out and people are vicious about it. I prioritize watching Soul. I don't see Wonder Woman until the 26th. So I've seen a day of right. like the fucking echo chamber before I watch this movie. And I'm very much like, I really want to like this. And also on paper, everything that I see people complaining about sounds like the kind of shit I usually defend. This sounds like some fucking Angley Hulk weirdness or whatever, right? Not that they're the same movie, but the same sort of like uh, a flagrant disregard of commercial expectations for how these movies should operate. Um, right. The opening, I'm so fucking on board. I'm not even talking about the Themyscira Love thing. Love the opening. But, but the, like, the mall, I was just like, this is the exact movie I'm ready to defend to the end of the earth. Is her doing, like, you were saying it's a Donner thing, but I even feel like it's even more like a, a Richard Fleischer Superman Less. thing. Le- you mean Lester, right? Yes. Uh, yes, I, I yes, think, yes, I think I'm there's sorry. that, yes. There's, there's the fully Lester that thing. element, yeah. too. I mean, I didn't want to say to anyone, like, kind of get ready for almost a Superman 3 vibe, partly because right. Superman 3 also has magic rocks. Um, but, like, yeah, a little bit of that, right? You know. And hiring a comedian to be the villain and, like, all this sort yeah. of shit. Yeah, and, definitely. And for me, I'm just, like, I like the audacity of, like, the movie starts and everything about what she's doing, It it feels to me totally in control of its tone that whole mall opening i'd say even maybe like the first like 25 minutes 
in general. Right. You can dislike that tone, but like you look at cues like you have Hans Zimmer doing a score that sounds far closer to as good as it gets than the first Wonder Woman, right? It's I not, love this score. It's not unintentional. It's not like she's lost control of the wheel. She's decided, I think this movie should be a goofy comedy, right? I think this movie should have the vibe of a Police Academy sequel. I am so on board with that, partially because I think these movies are now increasingly plagued with a sense of self-seriousness that is uh, uh, exhausting. Um, you also just look at like the the extras, the background actors in the mall, and it's right. just like everyone's on the exact same pitch. Tonally, the movie is a complete, perfect conversation with itself. Whether or not you like that tone, she's not fucking up. She's doing what she's trying to do. I agree. And it's like, yeah, it's like Commando or whatever. Everyone's like yeah. wearing the right clothes. Every, right. You know, there's just like, uh, just, it's it's also just like cutesy and low stakes, which I yes. like. It's Same. like a bunch of goofs are robbing a store and it goes, <sighs> like, you know, and they're right. idiots. And right. she's just, essentially going to clonk their heads together. Great. Right. Cool. Just, just not enough of like stopping a guy wearing like a mask, holding a bag with a dollar sign on it and like saving a kid <laughs> exactly. from getting shot. Like all these movies should have these scenes, right? It's like with these things where we're yes. getting away from what these characters are supposed to represent. And I don't mean like based on the fucking material, but I mean like culturally why we even care about telling these stories it i will say though like you know justice league has that sequence that feels very smushed in where yeah. she rescues people in a museum or whatever you know and she like yes does all the wonder woman things yeah. and it feels lazy and undercooked because it kind of feels like Zack snyder is not that interested in it he's like oh, she'll she'll do a thing he's got a like, very cynical a, take you know, on superheroes i mean that's the weird thing with Zack snyder with like how much people read the randy and stuff into his work he also makes these superhero movies that are all about like superheroes are like these fucked up fascistic nightmares and we shouldn't trust right. them uh, right. So that stuff always plays insincere with him. Whereas you watch Patty Jenkins do this mall sequence and you're like, she believes in this. You can think it's corny, but she believes in this and it's something that she actually finds fun. Right. Okay. So you like that. Yes. But then. I, I love the early development of Barbara. I like having Wig, uh, you know, I think there was that question. Truly doing Jim Carrey from Batman Forever yes. down to like frizzy hair, yeah. glasses, yes. like, well, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of, well, I'm nervous over here. I mean, there's the meme that's been circulating of like pre-conversion Edward Nigma, pre-conversion, pre-electrification Jamie Foxx and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like there's yes, like, the right, grid that's, of that's five the one, of right, them yes. that all right, have right, like the right. same glasses, Guy Pierce and Iron Man 3. Yes, like, yes. Right. They're all styled so similarly. But guess what? I think that trope is potent. It pretty much always works for me. I also find it especially potent when you hire someone who's a comedian and they can play up the comedy of that rather than playing it too but, it, it fucking but heavy. people hate this i feel this I, is another thing it. that people don't like right they it's I, too goofy or too silly I, I don't know i like it i know a lot of people don't like it because they feel like that's not who barbara was in the comics i am admittedly someone who like doesn't read wonder woman at all is not very invested in the history of the character cannot speak to that at all i'm just thinking on the level of how it works within this movie and i feel like right. when wig was announced and people were like how is wig gonna fit into the tone of a serious 
comic book movie, I was excited when I realized, no, the challenge of this movie is, can Wonder Woman fit into the tone of a Kristen Wiig movie? That was exciting. That moment where I had that breakthrough. I think she's genuinely funny, especially in the early sections of the movie. Can we do just like... Uh, yeah. Like a two-minute sidebar on how weird Wig's career is if you look at her 10 years as a movie star. It's it's a weird career because I feel like she just mostly rejected the path she could have taken. But then there are the occasional moments... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where she she's like, okay, fine, I'll do a blockbuster, and it rarely works. Yeah. All right. So, all right, let me take. Let's do two minutes. Two minutes. Right. So, obviously, big SNL star. She has two scenes in Knocked Up that hit so hard that Judd Apatow goes, "Write whatever script you want. I think you're clearly a movie star." She spends five years writing this screenplay. Not uh, uh, Bridesmaids comes out in 2011. Is that correct? 2011. 2011. Insane right. yes. that it's almost 10 years ago now. Uh, and I know. is is this seismic cultural thing? And it feels like okay, she's got the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, and like just to, it is also just though that crazy cottage industry of supporting roles for SNL players, especially that yeah. really dynamite cast, you know, Sandberg, Hader, yeah. you know, all those folks. Like, so it like knocked up is essentially her first movie. She's in yeah. unaccompanied minors before then with, you know, right. peak. Um, but that's a tiny role. But, and if, and she is really funny in it. Uh, like, I'm just going to read you everything before bridesmaids. Yeah, please. It's a Meet weird Bill, list. The brothers, Solomon walk hard, semi pro, these, some of these are one scene roles, you know, yeah. forgetting Sarah Marshall. She's a yoga instructor, something called Pretty Bird. Ghost Town. She's a surgeon in that. Mm-hmm. Adventureland, which she's really good in. Yeah. Uh, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Apparently she's a beaver. I had no yeah, idea. Sure. Ab- absolutely. Um, Whip It. Uh, key supporting role. Really good. Yeah. Like a lot uh, of really extract. good supporting roles here. And then a lot of movies that don't exist. Right. Extract, which doesn't exist, but I remember kind of enjoying How to Train Your Dragon, which she's in all of those. Date Night, MacGruber, Despicable Me. She's in all of those, I think. Yes. Or, yeah, she's yes. in all of them. Um, all Good Things, the long, you know, the Ryan Gosling Andrew uh, Jarecki uh, movie. Uh, uh, the Fred Durst movie. Uh, uh, Fred yeah, Durst, yeah, what am I saying? Robert Durst. Robert Durst. Robert Durst, whatever his name is. Uh, Paul, and then Bridesmaids. So like, I do, just I like do four say, movies a year. Yeah, also, uh, Jarecki should do a five-part HBO miniseries investigating Fred Durst. I just want to say that. But yes, she was doing so many movies. They were mostly small parts. They were a lot of her working with her same collaborators. And then Bridesmaids, it's like, you're a movie star. You played like a realistic human character because a lot of those movies are obviously a lot broader or her playing more like extreme character types. But she was like a sympathetic lead. She was a romantic lead. She drove the movie. She's got good dramatic scenes. She's got great comedic scenes. She wrote the movie. She gets an Oscar nomination. Kristen Wiig's going to do whatever the fuck she wants. And then she seemingly starts turning most big things down. Melissa McCarthy takes the movie star gauntlet is like, I'm ready to run with this. I'm ready to make my own cottage industry of what a Melissa McCarthy movie is. And Kristen Wiig, it feels like completely rejects the temptation to define the Kristen Wiig vehicle. 100%. She does a Jennifer Westfeld movie. She does movies that truly she becomes really like a, a Sundance star. Hate ship, love ship, girl most likely to. Like all these Sundance movies that don't that really make a mark. Yeah. Don't make a mark at all. In 2014, she has the skeleton kins and well skeleton twins and welcome to me. Neither of which, in my opinion, are good, but yeah. neither of which are bad, bad. They're both no. 
worthy and interesting Sundance movies also that don't pretty hit. Much always good. Like I, I even she's when those movies good. that miss, I question why she takes on certain projects, but I rarely question her acting choices. Yeah, I agree with that. The only thing I question is that she just does not want to play sympathetic characters. She's playing usually really yeah. tough, brittle, interesting, naughty, right. like mean people. Like she, which is like in Bridesmaids, obviously she's playing a fuck up, but she is, you, you know, you're with her. If you had to deny what what the wig movie star persona is, right, or at least what it seemed to present itself to be before she sort of like backed away from it, it is... You know, like incredibly fragile, insecure person spiraling deeper and deeper into trouble, trying to cover up and project a sense of confidence. Right. Absolutely. And it's like sometimes it's really interesting. She she essentially does that in a big budget film or or rather, let's say a, a mainstream film three times over the course of a decade. She does it in Bridesmaids. She does it in Ghostbusters and she does it in Wonder yep. Woman 1984. When she does a big movie in the other years outside of this, it's usually weird supporting parts where she's playing weird right. character things like Zoolander she, 2 or Anchorman 2 or fucking Walter Mitty. Walter she's Mitty, she's the, the, she's the girl he wants to be with, I'm assuming, right? Yes, like, right. He, and she's, she's got the, the object all, of affection. Almost no comedy to play. She's not bad in it, but it's right. it's her playing an entirely normal, straight level person. I. I think she's very good in The Diary of a Teenage Girl, which Agreed. is a real role I, that she sells really well. Griffey nomination for me. She's great in that movie. Mm-hmm. I think she's, you know, uh, in The Martian, which everyone is in. She's definitely and, in that. And, you know, it does what she's supposed to do. And everyone in that movie is a total pro yeah. who's doing, like, a good job. But, like, you know, not a not a killer stuff. She's in that thing, Masterminds, that, like, came out five years after they shot it. She's right. downsizing, which she's funny in, but, like, yeah, it's, tiny part. you know, 15 minutes. Right. She's in Mother, which she kind of rules in. Yeah, you know, she absolutely the, rules. She whips Scrote in that movie, yeah. Um, she, I, she's, like, the weird neighbor in Where'd You Go Bernadette? Like, yeah. it's, like, that, like, that's the kind of role where I'm, like, there is no way you need to be doing this. Like, no, and one of those like, things where maybe it's you like, just wanted to work with Kate Blanchett or Richard Linklater. I get it, but like this is you're playing an annoying neighbor. You could have played that twenty years ago. Practically, I know. The other thing that's so bizarre about it is you go like, even if you didn't want to be a like mainstream comedy star, you should be finding your own. Where did you go, Bernadette? Where you play Bernadette? Right. Like you could absolutely be doing like a dramedy of that size with a good director based on a best selling book where you're the lead. It's odd. You know, I, to some degree, yeah. I, just, I respect like her seemingly just being like, sure, I'd love to work with Richard Linkletter. I don't care. I don't have any ego. Right. Which I think she doesn't. And that's just fine. But, but look, but, she's got this movie coming up next year called Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Which I'm excited for. It's her and Mamalo writing together for the first time since Bridesmaids and seemingly her first time trying to create a real comedy around herself since Correct. Bridesmaids. Correct. And starring together. Mamalo's yeah. in it. Yes. Um, as well. That's her writing partner, as you say. Like, um, so, you know, cool. Cool. That's and great. for that. Like, and I'm into I, that. You know, and I will forever contend that she's great in Ghostbusters, which obviously somehow became the single most loaded movie of all time. But that felt no, like her- this one is- this one is it now. This one's taking the reins. Last Jedi okay. took it from Ghostbusters, right, and yeah, then now right. Wonder Woman took it from. Uh, Everyone's gonna fucking yell at me. Uh, whatever, whatever. I liked it. Um, but wig. It's a weird career. You yeah. seem to like her performance in this. I think she's fine in it. I think she's fun. 
Um, I, I, I like her a lot. I, think I like she, the vibes. She too gets a little lost when the movie asks her suddenly just yeah. become the Terminator. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think she does everything she has to do really well. And it was just exciting for me the first third of the movie watching her be this kind of funny in a movie again because it happens so rarely i would genuinely like found her performance very funny i also uh like the way that cheetah looks at the end of the movie i'm totally in favor of that i think that final battle is completely lackluster and stupid i think that's an issue this movie has overall uh the thing i i value so much about the first wonder woman is like the action sequences are so clean and have such good character story beats. And in this, it absolutely feels like sort of second unit, generic, just like claws and explosions shit. Especially, especially that one. That, that one is, the, the, yeah. the two sequences that really just kind of have nothing yeah. uh, are that one, the, the cheetah fight, which is like happening at night. There's not yeah. a lot of stakes because it's kind of obvious Wonder Woman is going to beat the shit out of her. Like, there's not really a sense of danger. It's also one of those weird things where, like, the cheetah makeup is almost entirely practical, and yet it looks like it's bad CGI because there's so much bad CGI going on around it. Right, because the way she moves is not yes. practical. Right. Um, but uh, and then also the the car chase thing in the middle. It's not like it's like I think abhorrent. It's I think but it's, it's very really boring. boring. Like I also think I, I couldn't tell you anything. We obviously uh, uh, don't want to dig into this too deeply, but it just feels like such a colossal misjudgment to send Gal Gadot to the Middle East in a sequence. I, I agree. I, I was annoyed about that, just in general. And and in general, the treatment of the Middle East in this movie is like so that's, fucking that's hot shots like, part duh. It, like right, that's the thing. I sort of was like, oh, are they trying to do more eighties movie thing? Like like uh, like fucking Commando, like any like yeah. you know Schwarzenegger movie of that era, where like half the time it's it's either a Latin American bad guy or a Middle Eastern bad guy, right? You know, and right? Like, and this movie does like, both. Yeah, but like you know, come on, dodge that shit. Who? Come on, I don't know. I, I guess there's this this oil subplot that that yeah. that's how they get drawn, but like I just feel like there's other ways to do this. It's just like none of that should be in the movie for five thousand reasons. It's also just like I don't want her. I don't need this character in this movie franchise as been set up to be tied to actually complicated, heavy issues. World War One is so long ago and so cut and dry in terms of who the good guys and the bad guys were. Sure. And also right. that whole movie is operating more as a genre riff on war movies rather than dealing with war in a realistic bent. I, I had the exact same thought as you where I was like, this movie is so into being a riff on 80s comedies down to questionable geopolitical aspects yeah, and right. weird sexual politics like it feels like it's an 80s comedy down to all the weird problematic <laughs> blind spots that 80s comedies have if you rewatch them now and i can't tell if that was intentional or just was like i we don't give a shit the movie's not about that we're not going to dig into it it's it, but then the reagan stuff the cold war stuff yeah she's now said it's pointedly not supposed to be reagan but it's i was gonna to, say yeah, it's not Reagan, but I, I guess I was like, right. I was like, this, this isn't Reagan. This is, I guess, just the president. Yeah. Like how, which is what comic book movies always used to do. Always. Like X Men. Yes. There's always just some white guy with glasses. It's always yeah. just like, well, I'm the president, of course, you know, and like, 
Um, but right, of but, course, everyone. He looks enough like Reagan. That's I the guess, problem. That people it's, are it's, like, it's, oh, it's, it must be Reagan. He's not. He it, doesn't sound like him. No. But he look. He's got a haircut. You know, like it's sort of emblematic of the problem with this movie overall for me, where it's just like it's hard to parse what your intent was here because you look at the guy and you're like, well, this is either the worst Reagan impression or you're trying to not have it be Reagan. But if that's the case, then get someone to look even less like Reagan than you did. You know, right. Um, he, he's just close enough that. that it's confusing, but also far he enough is, away that it's but, confusing. I mean, he's not Reagan. He's 80s president. I yes. guess that's the defense, right? Like, and it's like right. 80s president, you know, is going to have a Reagan vibe, but he's 80s yeah. president. president. Yes. Um, yeah. So look, the villain of this movie who we haven't talked about, we, you know, we don't, we're not going through the plot like we, you know, we, we do not need to. We, we've covered lots of things that are important, yeah. but we haven't talked about Maxwell Lord. Um, much and he is the driver of the thing along with the fucking rock so yeah. Pedro Pascal Griffin Who is Maxwell rules? Lord I mean I, like, I really enjoy him I just I love him so much I, I'm I'm only gaining respect for him every single new project I see him do he's kind of my favorite sort of actor where he's like sort of almost backwards stepped into being a star but it seems to just be completely selfless as a performer where it's just like what do you need me to do for this I don't care what size the role That's is what, I what like the energy him. is I'm gonna match whatever this project needs me to be he can do fucking anything he fits into anything Here's in any size that's the thing. I you know, and you know what I haven't seen yet is the Equalizer 2, a movie I've been meaning to watch, which yeah. he is the second I think he's the villain. Okay. I can't remember. Um, but he's like the second lead, he's second build or whatever. But yeah. when you think of Pascal, right, you think of like, look, no one talks about this movie, but he's kind of fun in the Great Wall. Like yeah. being the silly <laughs> yes. European, you know, guy. Yeah. Um he's in a brief scene in If Beale Street Could Talk, uncredited, so I believe. Fucking and he's terrific in. Right. Um, he's in Triple Frontier as like the fifth guy. Like yeah. not one of the top three. It's Affleck, Isaac, Hanum are kind of the biggest three. Yeah. And then like Headland and Pascal are kind of the like all their guys who are like, Ugh. and he's like shaggy and weird. He has kind of messy hair and a mustache. And like like you'd say, serving the movie, like not right. trying to take it over. He always um, knows exactly what movie he's in, which is like the greatest compliment I can give an actor. You never feel like he's not on the same page as the project. And not only that, it yeah. sometimes feels like he gets the project more than everyone else around him. I, I agree with that. And, and I think that's true in this movie. He's still, the only other one thing I wanted to say, I um, he, he also he wasn't he in. Graceland. Did, did you work with him on Graceland, Griffin? He was on Graceland. Really, really? An episode run on Graceland. Anyway, I um, did not. I was on one episode of that you know, show. I I worked with the uh, the fucking Mary Jane's friend from the play in Spider Man Two. That sounds great. Yeah, um, it was incredible. You know, Pedro Honor Pascal of my life. was in it was <laughs> was in Narcos for three seasons, which is a, a yep. show I fell off with quickly, and I know that's a big show. But Never watched. Much like Jason Momoa it does kind of feel this like this crazy thing where you're like, oh, he's famous from Game of Thrones. And it's like, he's four episodes. Yeah, he's in like, it's seven. Yeah. But like, yeah, he was in one season and he wasn't even in every episode, but it right. was kind of one of those performances where you're just like, 
oh, well, I'll buy whatever this guy's fucking selling. Like, yeah, and he's he just, shows up two minutes in. You're just like, this is great. He's talking about his paramour. He's wearing like a robe. Like, yeah. this is the best. Who, uh, who is this guy? Give me give me everything. I uh, never watched Game of Thrones, but he's also one of these guys where he's day. like, Maybe. he Maybe he's not, 45. Right. He's like a New York yeah. actor who's just been like a sort of completely kind of anonymous character actor for a long time. And then he had that breakout kind of late and he has run with it in the best possible way like the most interesting way such an odd bodied you know varied body of work rather uh and when i see him in interviews he just seems like a fucking normal interesting person mm, interesting right uh, just one of i'm, I'm just famously. So, right so all in on him and this i just was like he's in the best version of this movie and and and, and, and also one, his, he's high energy yes. right away Yes. And also his character is the most interesting sort of idea this movie has because it's so different than the samey fucking types of villains we usually get in these films, you know? Yeah. Um, I The other thing I want, obviously, he is the Mandalorian, as we he, all know. He is. But, that, that is the way. Um, it is the way, right. Um, and obviously, you know, it, that's a performance that is being done in conjunction with a stuntman. Mm-hmm. And even he will talk about it really, and he's not always in the soup. But although the, it sounds like season episode, two was more him than season one, I believe that is true. Yes, yeah. but the episode that uh, I really loved, um, the penultimate episode with Bill Burr, yes. I liked all the episodes, but um, which I, I thought that episode was very good. Anyway, but Agreed. he also played there's, so there's a whole extended sequence where he has his helmet off, yeah, because he has to pretend to be an imperial guy, and he's playing it. As a guy who doesn't know how to use his face to yes. interact with people. It's, it, it, and, and it should it's not so be possible clever. to pull that off. It's like, it, how do you do that without seeming like a bad actor, right? How do you make it clear that the character doesn't know how to use their face, not that you as an actor don't have control of your face? He's incredible. Uh, and yes. even if you just look at it as a vocal performance, it is astounding how much depth he gets out of Mando who barely speaks and says everything almost in a monotone. It's true. He but, but, but sorry, but yeah, back to this movie. Yes. Yeah, so, so he's Maxwell Lord. He's the opposite of that. He's full energy, no monotone right. from, from Maxwell. Right. And it's like, you know, obviously people make the Trump comparison, but there's also, I think, a lot of Max Shrek here. Right. I mean, Batman Returns has more yes. and more become a weird uh, touchstone that directors now aspire to when they make these movies, because despite it being hated at the time or at least, you know, controversial, everyone's kind of come around to like, oh, wow, this this thing actually they used to let personality into these movies. And so much of that yes. idea in Batman Returns that's so compelling is the like, you have these two villains, this one who's so sexy and this one who's so monstrous, but the real villain in the movie is just this shitty guy in an office who doesn't value human life. I always complain about how villains, you're like, what are they doing for the rest of the day when they're not doing their villainry? You know, what are, <laughs> sure. what are they eating? Are they like... Hanging out, reading a magazine, like... The samey Marvel thing of just, like, who the fuck is Malachite? What is he doing the rest of the day? And this guy, you're like, I get exactly who this guy is. I understand exactly <laughs> right. what it drives him, what he's trying to do, what his failings are. And I can imagine every minute that he's not on screen. A hundred percent. Great point. And Malachite, oh, the greatest example, right, where he's, right. he's just like, okay, okay, I gave the big speech. 
I haven't read that pile of New Yorkers, but I don't want to. <laughs> like he's like walking around. Right. I, I just I don't want to make the time for that. I guess I'll just I guess I'll just play video games. Like you know, right. what's, what does he do? What is, you know? I I also think this is another really potent idea in the movie. Is you deal with Wonder Woman being a literal god, right? Uh, yeah. This odd status of I guess her being like the Jersey Devil, where she appears every once in a while and beats up a yeah, bunch right. of crooks and then Everyone's disappears. Like, <laughs> right. No one can ever I guess get someone helped us. Right, right. But that, but as you said, it raises all these questions of why wasn't she stopping other shit and what is she doing and how has it never been leaked and why is no one ever get her on camera and all this other shit, whatever. But there's something to the fact that you deal with a literal god, right? This figure of worship in this genre that's about us like turning to more powerful people and asking them to solve all of our problems and counterpointing that with an entirely human person whose giant failing is that he wants to be seen that way, that he is selling right. as a brand. And I can give you everything and that he himself is hollow, right, right, is unhappy and unsuccessful and is just trying to perpetuate the idea that he should be idolized and trusted. Right. That's good shit. That's that's good shit on paper. Like that's 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 compelling shit to build this movie around. Good shit on paper. Good shit on screen. I think almost every time he's on screen, the movie pretty much works for me outside of questions about internal logic of the wishing stone. This has been this weird year without superhero movies, right? After like yeah. two yeah. decades of their them controlling like the populist Increasingly, discourse, right? Overrunning everything else, right? And this idea of like people feeling so like you know either burdened by them or singularly obsessed with them. There's so many people who are just like, yeah, I like only go see Marvel movies in theaters. And I go like, are you a big Marvel fan? They're like, no, it's just like those feel like the only movies that you need to go see in theaters. Like they go like it's renewing their passport and they're sort of like on the hook for it, but they don't even love it. And then you have people who love it and dislike anything else. All this sort of weird, complicated shit, right? And then we have this odd year where after Endgame, which very much feels like the culmination of whatever this shit has been for the last 20 years, suddenly all these movies get put on ice right the like endless churn of this shit is just stopped and there's like a moment to step back and reflect and you have people doubling down and going more like hyper into the rumor mill of everything including like spreading these insane bizarre fake rumors that are now constantly being combated and you have people who are like now that we've gone six months without having to like you know the government mandate that we have to go see one of these movies like i'm actually more angry about these movies than i usually was like i see that response too and i think there's just this whole thing of like reassessing these movies place in our culture and how far they've gone then you have this movie that is so unconcerned with how these movies are usually supposed to work and is like messy and misshapen it comes out on a streaming platform the last like big you know holiday of the year that everyone's hated and people are just like just make me feel good just i want to sit down and i want you to make me feel good and instead you get this movie that's kind of like cinematically got the vibe of a sitcom has a magical fairy tale plot and feels like six episodes of a wonder woman streaming tv show put together hell like i i also last part but i think to a certain degree that's the other thing as people were so excited about like i get to big bring the big screen home and i don't think this film feels as cinematic as the first one i think this movie feels a little bit more like the shit we see on streaming 
And I think that's a point of disappointment for people, too. I'm not saying that people's gripes with the movie aren't valid. I'm just like trying to analyze why it, it, it there is such a level of anger as opposed to just this is bad. And it feels like the last time I remember this level of anger at a movie like this outside of things like Ghostbusters and Last Jedi where there's like the contentious back and forth but this kind of thing where it's just like 99% of people are just furiously dunking on it was Spider-Man 3 and Spider-Man 3 is a movie that similarly is just this director being like I don't know I'm sort of tired of this genre is there other things I can do with it but that movie also has 40% shit the studio made him do at gunpoint that feels so dispassionate I don't feel that with this movie. That's the problem. As I was going to say, the problem with Spider-Man three is partly right. That the studio's like, well, but wait a second. You can't, you can't go crazy. Cause like that movie's probably better if they just let Raimi go nuts. It's probably yeah. not a, you know, it's probably still alienating. Yes. Um, because like, you know, Peter Parker dancing around and all that, that's, right. that's Raimi stuff. Like, but if you let him just do what he wants and you don't have to like, do a whole Green Goblin subplot and do a whole Salmon subplot and do a whole Venom yeah. subplot all in the same, you know, like then maybe it, maybe it's a more coherent movie. Uh, and yes, I don't think, look, as much as people might be like, well, come on, Wonder Woman didn't, it didn't even gross as much as Aquaman. There's just a cultural phenomenon thing with it that's beyond yeah. any other of these DC movies. Totally. The Snyder thing being its own separate kind of more insane thing. But like... The fact that it was the first Wonder Woman movie, the fact that it was just kind of well-liked by everyone, that that she just kind of nailed it. Yeah. And that it it played not like a superhero movie, that it like held well at the box office, had good word of mouth, kind of became a growing phenomenon. Like you you get to do whatever you want. And that's what this is. She got to do whatever she wanted. Blank check status. And if we go back around to this whole conversation we have at the beginning of like, why are we covering these DC movies? Are they, should they still be a thing? You do step back and it is like, we were doing DC movies because it felt like this weird case of the blank check was Snyder trying to build the cinematic universe and everyone trying to do it under his shadow. And now it is very much not become that. But in a weird way, DC has become significantly more director driven than the marvel movies on mass they are for how misshapen many of them are and they don't fit together they are very much movies that are defined by their filmmakers and all have very different vibes and interests and sensibilities by and large and i also think it's that thing that i kind of want out of comic book movies which is just like uh, you go to a comic book store you can have three different books with the same character that all have wildly different art styles and different sensibilities. And the DC movies, for good or ill, because they don't have that quality control, have that thing. And this is an ultimate blank check movie because it is that weird case, like sort of, I mean, Kugler with Black Panther is another example where you're like, everything that works about this movie, you kind of have to give credit to this one person. This isn't machinery working. This movie should not have been this successful on paper. She tapped into something. And and then she was uninterested in trying to give people just the the same thing as a second course, you know, which is always yeah. going to sort of piss people off, I think, to a degree. But I'll always sort of fight for the right for people to fucking fail on this scale. Uh, and I and fight when, for the right to party. 
that I see differently. Absolutely. It also is just like, you know, people want to talk about like, you know, her as uh, an emblem of, uh, you know, gender in uh, filmmaking improving, right? The, the, the women uh, uh, suddenly getting more opportunities as directors. And you're like the most like progressive thing is that people hate this movie and she's got three humongous movies lined up. The thing that used to be unfathomable is that a woman could direct a movie that was a flop and be able to bounce back like they were Brett Ratner, you know? Right. And it's like, I love that she's got three major movies lined up and she's going to make a fucking sequel to this and that she's got goodwill, which studios never used to extend to women in these positions. Uh, It's true. It's beyond the fact, because like obviously in the sort of downtime between Warner Brothers announcing that this is coming out on HBO Max and Warner Brothers announcing then announcing the HBO Max plan, mm-hmm. the larger plan. Um, and the movie coming out, there's that Jenkins interview where she's critical of Warner Brothers. She doesn't like yeah. the uh, HBO Max plan. People are saying like, well, she took the money. Like, no, her agents negotiated her a proper payout for a movie that wasn't going to get released in theaters. Like that's not, she didn't take a buyout. Like, yeah. She also said like, I never would have agreed under other circumstances. These are very, very bizarre, specific times we're living. Agreed. Right. And like they, you know, they they did that release. They they figured that out in what will, quote unquote, the right way where they're like, hey, we need we might need to put it on streaming. Okay, then pay us the residuals we would have gotten from a blockbuster release. Yeah, Mm -hmm. let's. okay, sure. You'll get this, you know, like yada, yada, yada. Um Whereas with the other movies, they were just kind of like, we're going to do it. Yay. Everyone's excited. Like, you know, without announcing it to anybody. Anyway. So there was that the interview kind of gave the vibe of like, oh, there's bad blood here. And then, you know, Disney's announced that she's doing a Star Wars movie. Yeah. okay, maybe she's just going to be like, you know what? I'm getting out of this mess. Uh And then when they announced day of uh, this movie's release that they're going to do three with her, that feels like them being like. We whatever we were we're in and we gave her what she wanted, whatever that might be. Right. Like, yeah, whatever the story she wants to tell is or we right? like they 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 ponied up. I also think it's like she's, you know, saying that she's going to do Cleopatra with Gal Gadot, which I now wonder if that's the movie that's going to fall off the map. The, the Rogue yep. Squadron thing. Yeah, that thing, definitely is. Right, I don't think that movie's going to happen, and uh, no one should make a Cleopatra movie. It's cursed. Uh, but but also, yes. uh, Rogue Squadron is so far off. She has admitted that there's, like, nothing there. That Just that she wants to make a fighter pilot movie. They don't even have the beginnings of a script. It's going to be years right. before that thing happens. And I think... Well, they're claiming 2023, but it does seem... Vague to me. But that's them trying to work on hyperdrive. I mean, they're, you know, I think that deal was yeah, signed yeah. like four days before the fucking Disney investor 100%. thing. And I think they have nothing outside of her saying, I'd like to do a movie about people, in, you know, X Wings. It's an um, obvious Rogue Squadron. Yes, that makes yeah, sense. Right. Why not? Uh, I think Warner Brothers sensed if we don't lock her down, we stay in the position of having to wait eight or nine years for her to make another movie if she lets both of these movies come first, right? And they sense maybe the vulnerability in the Cleopatra thing and the fact that Star Wars was further off and it's like you could make this her top priority right now. I also think, and this speaks to fucking AT&T wanting to turn Warner Brothers 
others into Netflix. There is that aspect of just like any publicity is good publicity. They don't care yeah. if people hate this movie. They like that fucking 50 percent of people who have HBO Max watched it within 24 hours. That's the thing they've been they trying got, to make happen is just people got watching whatever it. number. Right, because they don't care if it's Emily in Paris. They don't care if people are watching shit just to come up with fucking Twitter jokes. They just care that what they got Emily the eyeballs. Was in Paris? Well, what it's a huge question, and we're still dealing with the ripple effects of it. We are. We. I mean, they really are. There's going to be a second the whole season. She's yeah. still going to be in Paris, I assume. Yeah. Also, please, uh, it's called it, Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris. Um, are there things we haven't talked about? I guess there's just the big showdown at that is, you know, Lord giving this increasingly demented speech with yeah. a wind machine blowing in his face, which I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed partly because, as you say, there was no portal open. There was no, um, you know, knockdown, drag out fight that she needed to have with him. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, but like, I think I think the flaws you're pointing out here are, are well, I acknowledge them. Like, you know, there's a logic problem that the movie can overcome a lot of the time, but you know, for your big soaring finale, yeah, you probably need people to be dialed into exactly what the fuck is happening, right? And right. I don't know if they are, right? I think it's just a little too scattered at that point. I like her yeah. sort of making this plea to the world. I like the idea of her sort of like weaponizing the media in order to reach out to people. It does raise that question of, I guess, what you said. Are we just supposed to treat it like everyone wakes up the next day and goes like, man, I can't remember, really remember last Tuesday. There were those five days where I was out of commission. I think possibly. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not sure. They They keep it vague. I also like the the Pedro Pascal flashback. Like I like Love that. the the specificity of showing how much this guy is a fucking act and an act yep. that comes out of um uh self-loathing and a, a feeling yeah, of discomfort right. within society, right? The sense of uh otherness. Like him arranging right. the candy and the weird sign on the door when he's got the little that. office like that shit I find very emotionally impactful. It is weird that that's the character you end up feeling most for the entire movie yeah. and it, it gets yeah. to this problem for me like so i'm sitting there i'm really trying to like it i'm finding the things i like i'm going like maybe this execution isn't there but i get what she's trying to do and i'm with it and for me it's like when you get to the scene where steve is saying to her like you're losing your powers people are killing each other and it's just because i'm here you need to renounce your wish uh and she has her sort of like you know, uh, a teenager, like, I never get anything I want. This is the one thing that makes me happy. Why won't anyone let me be happy thing? Sure. Yes. It, it is a tough scene to swallow. And it is that kind of thing of, like, the balance of how you make these godlike characters feel uh, vulnerable emotionally. But, but at that point, you're sort of like, this is sort of like a radical entitlement thing where then mm. when you you mirror that with at the end her saying like i get it but i'm sorry none of us can have good things i gave up my good thing even though i had my good thing for longer than all of you have had your good things everyone give up their good things right now there's this element of the movie that feels like it's tapping into the same exact things that are frustrating about gal Gadot doing the imagine video <laughs> Well, that video was great. No problems. Definitely wasn't 
so incredibly horrifyingly boring and cringeworthy and tone that deaf. I had to turn it off seconds well, and in. Tune, and, 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 and in deaf. tune, too. Everybody tune, was hitting the notes. Yeah. I mean... The ima- look no we can no I'm sorry we're, we're two hours and I we we can't get into the imagine video there's too much insanity we just can't do it yes. I mean, you agree it's too yes. much too much but I think uh, look, but anyway, I, that, yes. that comparison genuinely came to me in that moment the thing of just like sure. everyone needs to be happy and make these sacrifices I say as I film this video from my poolside right. whatever right nice there, nice there, house yes right there's that kind of energy which is a thing that's been driving uh, people uh, understandably irate throughout the pandemic uh, and I yes. also think that's another reason why this movie has so much anger against it is like Gal Gadot didn't yeah. really do a movie in between Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 2 she became such a big cultural figure after that and I feel like there's now a sort of reckoning with the things that annoy people about her that that's possible. There is a weird I won't say weird. There is a, a venom to how people talk. The movie she did, by the way, that you're forgetting is Justice League. But uh apart the from one. that, she didn't the really one. do a movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um but uh and of course but but Griffin, soon there will be a death on the Nile. It'll happen. There'll be one a death day. on the Nile. And we cannot forget that she was Shank in Ralph Breaks the Internet. But she, as she is. She's as good. a live action oh. actor. Okay, she shank. Sure. She shank. Shank rules. We have no choice but to stand. But Justice League yeah. is the only movie she had released with her face in it in between these two yeah, films. No, 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 and no, people sure. write Justice League off and they just go like, well, not her problem. Yeah, she's actually one of the better things about it. But um, yeah. yeah, people definitely have a lot of problems with her and that's fine. And uh, there's a lot of good reasons. And some, you know, that maybe are less fair. I have no idea. I, 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 I like her... I'm like her as Wonder Woman, though. Like I, I well, you know, I love her as uh, I love her in the she's Fast and Furious movies. She's yeah. great in those, and that was where when she popped, where you're like, oh, this is like, this is someone who is overqualified for this role. Like this someone, totally. this person seemed, even though I've never heard of her and I don't know who she is, like this person just kind of has a lot more presence than yeah. you might expect from this kind of this character who's like, oh, she's like the hot lady who runs the races, you know, like and. That's part of the magic of Fast and Furious in general is that yes. it gives, you know, these characters more to do and more depth and more, you know, yeah. they're, 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 they're high quality blockbusters that I love. But yeah, apart from that, like, I, you know, I like Chris Wonder Woman. I don't I don't want to get a cup of coffee with her. I mean, uh, yes, no, I know. think she's certainly got her issues as a human being. I did, no, but I, but I, but, but guess what? Fucking everyone has their issues. Everyone's complicated. Yeah, exactly. The world is terrible. I all people are also, awful. This I think is humanity a movie is a failed podcast. experiment. I I can't weigh in on actors as people because it's just it's as we know it's like it, we're just you're just gonna be disappointed most I likely. Agree. I agree. They're I gonna most, let you down. This is I mean most look, likely. I, I I tend to holster my nihilism to some degree on this podcast. And as you know all too well, when we're not recording, I completely stress you out with how negative I am about everything at all times, especially in regards (laughs) to my faith in humanity at large. But it is a thing I think when like celebrity backlash shit happens and I don't get it. You know, save for things like Kevin Spacey or whatever, right? Where it's like I I, I, was a little more than a backlash. (laughs) Dare I say it? Maybe let's cancel that man. Uh, let me be frank. The guy's a fucking psychopath. But uh, I, I, I come from a baseline of just thinking that everyone's a bad person. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and- I, I just I think with rich, famous people, 
That's the other thing. And fame breaks people's fucking brains and they stop being normal people. Uh, uh, Not the the tangent we want to go on in this podcast. This is the final thing I want to say. No, really, no. Yeah. This is the final thing I want to say. Uh, although people have corrected me a lot in the past that in our original Wonder Woman episode, I said that Gal Gadot erroneously was an ex-Massad agent, uh, which of course was me uh, confusing uh, Fast and Furious with real life, a, th- a problem I have on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> she she was like an instructor. <laughs> she, was like a, she was like a Pilates service. instructor, right? Yes, yes. I don't know. Anyway. The, obviously, yes, stuff we don't yes. want to fucking get into because it is impossible mm-hmm. to discuss. Okay, keep going, keep going. What's your point? Here's what I want to say. Uh, When I've been trying to defend the weirdness of this movie, while still saying I don't really think it's good, but I admire its weirdness, some friends of mine have pushed back and gone like, but don't you feel like there's all this stuff that feels like studio notes and box checking and this and that? And I think that is... Look, who knows, right? We don't know what fucking went on behind the scenes. But I do think there's, there's two things going on, okay? One of them is... I think Patty Jenkins is innately a populist i think she wants to mm, make for sure. big colorful movies i think she is someone who understands the value of making something that is done in broad strokes with bright colors that hits very elemental themes in an unsubtle way it's a thing uh her, like when her favorite director is pedro Almodovar. like yeah they, 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 she likes color she likes boldness vibrancy like right. that that's absolutely what she likes and she's much. talked about that like superman the movie is the movie that made her want to be a director yes. that was her star yes. wars when she was a kid that's like the the primal text for her uh you know i i think about like the my insane experience working on the mulaney pilot for nbc and when nbc passed on it and people said to him why aren't you just doing this at hulu why aren't you doing this at comedy central any of those pe- places would give you the money you know a smaller budget to do this and he said like part of the idea for me is being able to do this on network television like part of the challenge for him was can you do seinfeld can you do it with content restrictions and the ability to you know uh uh sell car ads and all that sort of shit and i think patty jenkins has that thing innately in her that she wants the challenge of making this type of movie uh writ large and i think if a lot of the things that people think are weird in this movie are sort of checkboxy where studio notes they would be executed in a way that was far less bizarre right right like if it was a studio note that you have to bring chris pine back to life it would not have been done as a body swap thing no right there's no way that was no this feels like a movie where she very much got to do what she wanted to do i don't know this for sure but like it might the studio might have been like are you sure because like Pine probably didn't have a sequel yeah. clause. No. I, you know, it might have been like, fuck, we're yeah. going to have to pay him. You want Pine back? I think this was a movie where they kind of couldn't push back on her. And you also right. imagine that, like, if they were trying to mitigate risk on this movie and it was on the shelf for a year before it came out, they would have made her cut half an hour out of this movie. Like, if, if they had any yeah, control over her. Right. They wouldn't have let it be two and a half hours long and this bizarre. Um, the final thing I want to say, and I, I, I teased to you that I was going to make this a longer spiel, but I just want to throw it out as a threat. I think there's an interesting through line when you look at the DC movies, excluding the Nolan Batman films, but including Green Lantern. I think there is an interesting through line of how high Jeff Johns credit is on the film and what the public perception of the movie is. And you were saying to me, it feels like he's a guy that Warner Brothers kind of went, can you be our Feige? 
But Jeff Johns is a dude who, like, his first job was working as Richard Donner's assistant. He's always wanted to be a movie guy. And it does feel like, to some degree, he's used comics to try to break into movies. And there is this thing of just, like, he was not really involved in Wonder Woman, and that movie was so big, and suddenly he's the co-writer and has co-story credit, and he wants to make himself part of it. He was, like, the main writer, along with Greg Berlanti, who obviously has gone on to do better DC stuff on Green Lantern. Uh, He was very involved in all the Joss Whedon drama on Justice League, you know, in the rehiring and all that sort of shit. And Aquaman, Mm. which is the other one, the one exception where he has a big credit on it. I think he has a story credit. He doesn't have a screen credit. But I think you and I can both agree the strong suit of Aquaman is Juan is the visuals is the world building. It's not the script. The script is fucking bananas. It's a fucking mess. Right. And it's like works. The script you're like, okay, like I guess I'll go along with this. But you're like Shazam uh, and the, and the first wonder woman feel like the movies that Jeff Johns was like, I don't need to bother myself with that. Those are the smaller ones to some degree. Yeah. I mean, obviously he was not, as involved with the the Snyder movies in general, right? The you know the Man of Steel. Uh, but no, he was involved Batman. in in BVS. He was involved in BVS in a big. He's way. an executive producer, but he's also an executive producer on Wonder Woman on the first one. I mean, you know, like he he that's when he was in his sort of honcho role that is ill defined. Right, like you're there, whatever he is. he's the Feige esque figure, sure. but. Um, now I'm looking. It is funny that he, this is a, actually Griffin. This is his first screenplay credit. Weird. Uh, ever. What, this is his first I, ever screen. He's not screenplay credited on Green w- Lantern. Weird. Okay. But he's got he's a the producer, producer of that, that movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he was obviously, and that movie is, I mean, he was the Green Lantern guy. Like his Green yeah. Lantern run in the 2000s was this like hot run. He was kind of um, running quarterback on that movie. I mean, he was very right. hands on with that. Yeah. The only movies he has a producer, not an executive, a proper yeah. producer credit on are Justice League and Green Lantern. Wow. Uh, which I think are two movies that are unsuccessful, as They're you They're the two that he was the uh, most hands-on with, one could say. The executive credits he has are on, you know, he has one on Shazam as well, but like that, that's, yeah. that's his role as DC honcho. Yeah. And then Wonder Woman 1984, he co-wrote with Patty Jenkins and someone called Dave Callahan, who, who's like become the uh, hardest working man in show business now, yeah. right? But now is like he wrote uh, uh, what shall I call it? The uh, why am I forgetting its name? Shang Chi movie. Yes, yeah. and he's got he like five other Kombat big movies, movie. right? This uh, this guy is also is writing the Disney Hercules live action movie. Uh, something that doesn't relate to this podcast at all. I was about he's, to say, couldn't say. He's How many Mortal Kombat's are there? Uh, this will be the third. Uh, he's writing Spider Verse yes. two. Like Callum is now writing everything. Uh, he was brought on late. Johns mm-hmm. and Jenkins developed Did it, wrote it, and then Callum yeah. came on later. And Jenkins doesn't even have a screenwriting credit on the first movie, even though clearly she did a lot in shaping that. I just think Johns might be a little bit of an issue, and there does seem to be a thing where the more hands on he gets with these movies, the more muddled they become. I got nothing I against think, the guy personally. I like a lot of his no, comic book I work. Mean, I've started to right. view him as a little bit of a red flag when it comes to the movies. You know, Goyer used to be the the great villain, right? Like people yes. would say like, oh, he's the one who messes up, like even though he has credits on movies people like. But yeah. And now it seems to maybe be shifting to John's. Those are both comic book nerds 
And mm-hmm. Johns is obviously a, a very accomplished comic book writer, like beyond, you know, he, he, he yes. really, his Flash stuff, his Green Lantern stuff is wow. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, and his other thing that he, I would say, has had, he's had more success is in the TV world, in mm-hmm. uh, those CW shows, The Flash being his yeah. creation, a lot of those shows he he's worked on, which is, those are good. I would those are successful and fun. I usually fall off with them, but I I have no beef with them and they've got their whole sort of thing going. And Berlanti is viewed as the auteur of those. Berlanti obviously is. Yes. Sometimes. I I mean, some of those shows he's very hands on and some of those shows he just sort of put his stamp on uh, to help them get made. But But Berlanti gets the credit for those shows. I think John's is probably better at episodic comic book, you know, issue level storytelling. Right. Yeah. I, you know. This movie, I like it a lot more than you do, but it's mm-hmm. got, like you said, kind of a weird episodic vibe to it. Yeah. Um, and it's quite long and mm-hmm. it's oddly structured. And I'm not going to throw all the blame at Jeff Johns because I like, again, I like the movie. And for God's sake, maybe yeah. it's all Patty Jenkins' fault. I don't know. But like, Who knows? I think you're right to, to cock an eyebrow, perhaps, yeah. at his stewardship of this yeah. whole ridiculous enterprise. I, I don't know. Or maybe I just, yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. It's a, that's a, David, you put it perfectly. All it is, is a cocked eyebrow. And I look at Aquaman and Green Lantern in this movie and I see certain through lines, you know, uh, I do and, too. and, and Shazam yeah. and Wonder Woman are like the ideals of what I want out of this universe. I put birds of prey number three after that. And those are the movies that by all accounts, he was not really touching. Um, I agree. I also love Aquaman. I can't wait to see the trench. Can't wait to see Aquaman too. Sure. My whole thing with these DC movies is I think the whole thing is a fucking ridiculous disaster. Yeah. But I kind of like some of these movies. Kind of. Uh, you know, what am I supposed to say? Like, yeah. Am I just a sucker for this stuff? Do I just like it when they kind of take the weird swings? I don't know. Kind of. Is it exhausting that we have to keep coming back to this? Well, a little bit. Not yeah. so much right now, just because they're, like you said, it's been kind of a weird year. No superheroes anyway, so I guess, like, it's a little more fun, but, like, you know, are we going to talk about the Matt Reeves Batman movie? I don't know. I mean, it's like, that's another question where you're just like, do we need to? I'm excited for that movie. I like Matt Reeves. Is it better to sure. just hold off and maybe try to do Matt Reeves someday? But then, like, at what point does Matt Reeves have enough films under his belt that it feels like there's a real thing to talk about there at this point? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what else is coming? The, the, the gun movie, obviously the flash movie with the machete is doing that is happening. I believe. Yes. We don't want to do that one. It's got like Michael Keaton in it. And I, Affleck. That's, that's, that's crazy. And, and here's the other <laughs> cynical thing. People like to hear us talk about these movies because they're new big release movies and people want to yeah, hear sure. takes so and the episodes do always do well for us. But there's some degree of like, uh, we uh, we feel somewhat captive to covering these movies. Sometimes we don't feel like it. And then sometimes we fuck up and we skip Shazam and it's the best. Right. So that's that's, you know. That should be the well, lesson learned for we us. Should, the yeah. lesson is we can't skip Cyborg when it comes out eventually. In yeah, and let me look this 20 up. 20 years or whatever. Cyborg is... Well, what are you talking about, Ben? Cyborg is dated for 2018. It came out two years ago, I guess. <laughs> it was dated for... I believe it was once officially given the release date of April 3rd, 2020, which 
As far as I know, it didn't come out then. I, I mean, I'd have to check. It was kind of a hectic time. Ugh, I want to say there was even an earlier release date because there was a point where they there were championing that they were going to come out before Black Panther. There might have been. And uh, I just am now imagining a scenario where Warner Brothers is like, we released Cyborg 2020. Uh, you know, the pandemic, it was a hectic time. It came out. Yeah, April. Yeah, it came out April 2020. It was good. It was good. You, you might have seen it. It was good. He okay. He, he was announced April 2014, and on 2014 they announced April 2020 as the release date. Uh, so you're right. They gave themselves six years, and instead, uh, Ray Fisher has been starring in a lawsuit against Warner Brothers. <laughs> I was about to say that didn't really work out. No. I feel like there's some some tension in that relationship, yeah. in which he tweets constantly, like awaiting further results from investigators. Like you know. it's also wild. Like we saw that movie, and my takeaway was like he's probably the best performance in it. You and were like, then his you takeaway liked him. is like they threw out every scene I shot. Right. Yeah, I think he's good. It's a shame. I want to see him do more shit. I found him really engaging in that movie. He's like the one performance that kind of worked for me. He's something new, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like Momoa, but yeah, he's something new. Yeah. <sighs> you okay, want to do well, the box office game? We gotta. It's it's the biggest hit of 2020. There is one. <laughs> um. So this movie opened on Christmas Day to 16.7 million dollars. I guess people are going to theaters. It's also uh, COVID, a little bit higher than ever. <laughs> Fred, I was going to say, all time yeah, COVID, middle of winter a on a way. holiday, and the movie is available to watch at home, and yet it had a bigger opening weekend than Tenet. There, it, it shows that there perhaps is some future to day and date. It, it's encouraging and depressing in that pent up way of people just being like, I want to do something. And yes. obviously the argument is like when it's safe, lots of people are going to want to do something. Yes. People aren't going to be like, you know what I love? What experience I've really settled into being on my couch. Why would I yeah. leave? Like, I, yeah. you know, so it opened number one. Uh, there it is. There was a, and I remember Variety breaking down, like there were a lot of private rentals, like mm -hmm. a huge amount, the uh, vast which has majority. become obviously yeah. a bit of a model for yeah. theaters the majority, trying to stay a, alive. A very large No, but a slice. lot, a, a lot, yes. a good chunk. Yeah. Um, number two at the box office is another Especially new movie. Especially because you have like, it's only 40% of theaters that are actually open right now. Something like that. Yeah. And obviously a lot of major markets are not. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, and, uh, number two, opening to $2.2 .2 million, Griffin. It's a new movie. It's a movie I liked. I bet you haven't seen it yet, but I think you will like it. Is it News of the I World? I imagine you'll be watching it. It's News of the World. From I'm, I'm very excited to watch it. Yes. I, I uh, just, I'm ready to be know, in the warm hands of Hanks. Yeah, not a masterpiece, but like a, just a good, solid Tom Hanks is, you know, trying to keep the world from crumbling, you know, just through decency moving, right? David, frankly, that's all hmm. I need right now. Exactly. Especially it's, I think with it's pretty beard. good. Um, and it's an interesting departure for Greengrass, which I appreciated. Yeah, away I like that from too. the shaky. Um, and it's a reunion. I mean, Greengrass got one of Hanks' greatest performances uh, yeah. in Captain Phillips, and and this is a good movie. It's good. You'll like it. It's out. I, I, I'm um, excited to watch it. Number three is a family film. It has almost made $100 million at the box office. Worldwide. Worldwide. Oh, it's The Crude's A New Beginning? <laughs> it's a new age, okay? It's I not just a beginning. I wrong. Yeah, yeah. 
Cruise a New Age. Oh, you, oh, wait, I'm sorry. You got that incredibly uh, like vague ass basic title wrong. There's, who cares? Like everyone got that title I, I, wrong. I know, but there's also like a COVID brain fog thing where I feel like I fucked up Bill and Ted in the game recently. Uh, oh, yeah, the Tenet right. episode coming like, out next week. And there was some other movie that I totally misremembered the title of. Uh, uh, I don't I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway. Number four is a movie that you, Ben, and I have, you know, semi-seriously discussed just renting a theater to go see. Monster Hunter. We want to go hunting. It's hunting <laughs> <Yeah>. season. <laughs> it looks like uh, fucking badass. Yeah, it looks it re- does. like the best it movie really, It does. And if this was just a normal time, it's just, oh, God. It's like NGs or whatever. It would just yeah. be the movie yeah. where we go to the I Kips know. Bay to see it. And we're like, why is it in the smallest theater? <laughs> like, I know. What's going on? We, we get drunk <laughs> at that pizza parlor hunt? beforehand. It'd be the be- fucking <sighs> best night of my life. God, is that place still open? Absolutely. I order deliver on them all the time. Fuck yeah, that's great. That place yeah. rules. There's a pizzeria I love. Uh, it's a little secret, and it's got kind of a secret bar in the back, and I've been ordering delivery from them constantly. A, because their pizza's good, but B, also because I don't want it to close. I want to be able to go to that bar eight years from now. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. We got to go back there. Number five at the box office. It's a new release. Uh, it's a movie that I think is going to get much discussed the more people see it. Um, but right now, it's really just in hmm. theaters. I think it's going to be on VOD very soon. Uh, it made seven hundred thousand dollars. What's hmm. the movie? Uh, it's, it's a. It, hmm. It's not a Netflix movie, right? It's a studio movie. No, that's just only. It's a, yeah. It's it's a, a specialty. Focus, I believe it's a focus. Oh, it's promising yes. young woman. Promising young woman. Yes. Gary Mulligan. Yes. Um, which is a movie that I like a lot of things about. I. Mm-hmm. Had some problems with it, especially the ending, but I also saw it at Sundance in January and like I, you know, was talking about it with Fran who just saw it the other, like, and she's like, you know, and this, and I'm like, oh, right. Like, I want to see it again. Like, it's, it's been a year, like, um, but I feel, you know, it's interesting. It's worth seeing. I assume you will watch it, Griffin. I will watch it. Yes, absolutely. The next three months are going to be me just watching everything uh, for the Blanky Awards that I haven't watched for the last nine months when I've only been watching The Simpsons and Mary Tyler Moore. Right. Um, You've also got Fatal. Which one is that? Oh, that's That's Hilary Swank. Yeah, Deion Taylor is kind of secretly an interesting filmmaker. I need to dig into him a little deeper, but that there's something going on with that guy. People say that movie is crazy, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But he made Black and Blue, which with time I actually like even more. Uh, He made Um, The Intruder, which is kind of a mess. Right, but but is The Intruder the uh, Quaid one? Is that Quaid? Yeah, right. But it's like yeah, a he's churning them out. He works right. really he fast. Made Meet the Blacks with Mike right. Epps. He right, made, which is um, the Purge parody. Right. He made something called Supremacy with I don't know fucking yeah. Danny Glover. I don't know. There, uh, there's yeah, there's something with that guy. I I don't know what it is right. yet, but I'm right. I'm compelled. I'm building a notorious narrative around him slowly but surely. I'm gonna watch. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. Um. You've also got uh, Pinocchio. That's the new Matteo Garone Pinocchio that's dark. You, you uh, couldn't got... keep Benini away. Benini just keeps on needing to no, be part Benini, of Pinocchio no. movies. Uh, absolutely. God, we should do Benini. Yeah. Uh, you've got Elf. You've got uh, Christmas Vacation. You've got The War with Grandpa. Still holding on, Griffin. What's it up to? Like 25? 18. 
okay. 18 in, in four months, uh, three months, sorry. And in 11, I just want to shout it out, the Polar Express. Oh, boy. And it's 842nd week. It is funny to see those like, oh, like top 10, Polar Express number eight made like $300,000. And then you look at box office total, 180. Like, right. they're right. numbers right. that don't make sense because they're logging them as if it's one continuous release. It's so weird. Yeah. What a weird time. Yeah. May it end. Hey, David, you know, I don't know. If you've heard anyone say this before, but uh, my my saying about 2020 is uh, rest in pieces. What? You want that thing in pieces? Yeah. 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 This year Ooh, sucked duck boy. piss. I um, wish 2021 is better. Oh, yes. no. Ben's eyes are bleeding. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Ben's the stone. That's our new plot Why were you touching Pedro Pascal? 2021, we've him. decided we needed to shake up the podcast, so Ben's become the stone now. That's the new bit. Um, folks, speaking of 2021 and, and slight changes, want to say uh, our artwork has changed a little bit on the podcast, and we want to thank our buddy Joe Bowen for doing that. And we got some other new artwork changes coming soon to Patreon and also perhaps some new merch designs. But Joe has been such a great friend and uh, collaborator of the show. And uh, we should just say also, because uh, we didn't really uh, talk about this publicly when it was happening, but it, it, we, we have gone independent with our show, hence the... Uh, the artwork uh, changed uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, we decided we wanted to take on uh, doing the show ourselves. So we also want to thank uh, Audio Boom, who, who kept us mm -hmm. uh, alive for took, years. Yeah, took a chance on us, honestly. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it's still continuing to yeah. sell yeah, ads still for us. For right, yeah, right, still right. doing work for them. Um, but uh, yes, Blank Check is now a Blank Check production. Uh, and, and speaking of the 2021 glow up, Lay Montgomery, another dear friend and close ally of the show has done a mm -hmm. new recording of the theme song. People don't know. I, I like texted him to write a theme song on like the Tuesday before the Saturday, our episode was going to come out. Wait, you're, you're saying you left something to the last minute? A communication? I, I don't want to talk about doing... it. Okay. I don't want to talk about it, but that wonderful theme song was done very uh, quickly and scrappily on GarageBand. He's actually gone to a studio with his band, The Great American Novel, and re-recorded the theme song for them, and we love it, and we love him for it, and uh, people should, should check out The Great American Novel in general. Go to his band camp, buy his music, it rules. So if you like the Blank Check theme song, then you should listen to his other stuff. Yeah, check it out. It's uh, Both are listed in the description. Yes. Absolutely. Spotify and Bandcamp. But folks, thank you for listening. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. And go to our Shopify page where the Talk in the Walk Gossip Man shirt is available. Along with coming imminently a restock of the Comedy Point. And uh, pins. We got pins coming soon and some more stuff to come in the future. Tune in next week for Tenet. We're finally ready to perform a temporal pincer movement. We were going to do Tenet first, but then we decided to invert the release schedule. Yeah, we inverted. We inverted. We rolled it, one might say. So Tenet next week. Then we're doing the final three Zemeckis's. 
That closes out January and first episode of February, a sparkling new miniseries. No palate hey. cleansers in between because we're doing these two little new releases here. Yeah, the palate cleanser kind of. Yeah. Just early, early cleansers. Yeah. Um, An early cleanse. And as always, magical wishing stone innocent. <laughs>